Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. There we go. Well, <laughs> I feel like uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. There's insanity in my ear. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is um, it is Wednesday, November eighth, two thousand and seventeen. A year ago today. Wow, were there tears? Huh? And, and there was a lot of apprehension. Think back to a year ago. Uh, this date, a year ago, that is um, where there was uh, apprehension among the people in the newsrooms and how they reacted and. Think about what's happened since then, the past year. It, it, it has indeed been an interesting year, hasn't it? Um, we have seen a lot of uh, changes, but but more more than anything, what we've seen is this obstruction, obstruction against the Donald Trump agenda at every turn. Of course, the initial or the, the main thrust of the obstruction has been within the government, the deep state, the shadow government that's been uh, embedded, that's embedded within the uh, the U.S. government by those elected and also those appointed. And then, of course, you've got the obstruction. Uh, the, the secondary aspect of that is the media. So it's really an interesting day to give some, uh, just to think back over the year and to think back a year from today. Now, we've had a lot of, of course, a lot happened during that year. And, uh, uh, in fact, we'll probably go over some of that, uh, some of that the first hour today. We've got a good show lined up for you, of course. Uh, this hour is going to be open for news, information, and analysis. Information that you need to know, and I think, I think it's important that, that we all, um, remember what's, what's important, uh, with respect to the news, and that is, uh, Russia collusion, right? No, Russia collusion only as it regards with regard to Hillary Clinton and the DNC Democratic Party. It's pretty interesting there. Uh, don't forget, of course, we're following other matters as well. Just kind of a recap um, over this past year, what came to light the uh, a one scandal. I've been talking about that on my daily show or my morning show. Uh, we've been talking about that collectively here on the uh, flagship show. Imran Awan, Hina Alvi, uh, of course, they were, they have been arrested just on, on some pretty small counts. And you've got, uh, Abid Awan, Jamal Awan, you've got the, uh, um, uh, the various other, other individuals are part of that Awan group of Awan, Pakistani nationals embedded in the, uh, that had been embedded in the, um, House of Representatives. And then, of course, you've got the Donna Brazil issue as well that's coming to light. And uh, I'm going to be getting into that in a minute. I want to ask Joe his uh, research on that and his thoughts on that and your thoughts on that, too, uh, as well. But before we get into that, of course, I want to make sure everyone knows we've got five hours of programming. Five, count them, five. Doug Hagman radio show nine to ten every morning. Uh, Joe and John, uh, the Hagman Daily Show, and that's two to three Eastern time every day. That's Monday through Friday. Once in a while, I'll do a I'll do a show on the weekend. I did one last Sunday. 
um, a special show because the, the the news warranted it. That was before the shooting, but the the news of the um, the political news warranted that particular show. And then, of course, our flagship show, seven to ten p.m. Eastern time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, BTR, and YouTube Live. By the way, the other two shows because I've gotten I've gotten some emails on this. The other two shows are only on Blog Talk Radio and a Global Star Radio Network. We're exclusive to those two platforms for our two shows, just so you know that. Um, and and uh, then, of course, our flagship show, you can add YouTube to that as well. Tonight's broadcast, in part, brought to you by Casper, casper.com. How are you sleeping at night? You sleeping well? You sleeping comfortably? Let me ask you. Casper, it's a fantastic mattress. It's a fantastic product. We have Casper, Casper mattress here at the Hagman household. My wife and I both love Casper mattresses. Our guests, when they are, when they stay over, we have a Casper mattress for them designed by humans for humans. The quality is unmatched selection and convenience, of course, as well. But a special offer for you I'll be talking about later on. So stay tuned. Casper.com slash CFB radio is the URL. But, Let's get right into some issues here. Uh, I mentioned, Joe, I mentioned Donna Brazil. And, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, how many people are, have been following that whole, um, the evolution of Donna Brazil? I think a lot. I've been getting, um, emails asking my opinion on her one way or the other, asking about what I think her motivations are, whether it's selling books or wanting to come clean. On our show, on The Daily Show, we looked at a number of things from uh, her past to her personal life. She identifies as, as a lesbian. Also in her book, she identifies as a Christian who likes to listen to gospel music. She's been working in politics, specifically with the Democratic Party, for over 40 years. And she was appointed to the head of the DNC after Wasserman Schultz was removed. And she was not... She was associated with the Hillary Clinton campaign in many ways. And, and she was, DNC, yeah, she was the interim head after giving the debate right, questions. Right. And now we see her book that is coming out about, uh, it has come out, it has come out. Yeah. yeah. About what is happening, what happened inside the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC from the primaries to all the way running up to the election. And there's a lot of claims that she makes and it's getting a lot of reaction in the media and in the world of politics. Now, one thing that's interesting is that um, we don't see Hillary Clinton coming out and denying her claims, the, the claims of Donna Brazil, except that they issued an open letter to her saying that she was the victim of Russian propaganda, but nothing specific as far as saying, yes, I had this agreement, no, I didn't have this agreement. And the media continues to protect Hillary Clinton. And one of the things I, I found today which is interesting, which might might shed light onto why the media is protecting Hillary Clinton, then we'll get back to Donna Brazil, is journalists suspected of taking bribes to spread Russian collusion. House Intelligence Committee suspects journalists may have been paid to report on alleged Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. This is why Fusion GPS financial records are being looked into, and the House Intelligence Committee signed a subpoena to force the bank to turn over Fusion GPS's financial records. They want to see if payments were made to journalists uh, that were pushing the Russian allegations that were out there. Now, Donna Brazil's motivations could be a number of things. One, it could be to sell books. One, it could be to score political points. 
it could be too. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, because a side, kind of a side um, road here that you, that you mentioned about the journalists being, but uh, possibly being paid for their talking points or to direct the narratives mm-hmm. or direct the stories. How many people remember back in 2010? Uh, I, I believe this was initially. I think, I think it was 2010. I'll have to check my notes. Remember the 157 names, the 150, the names of 157, uh, journal list. It was, there, there was a journal list, kind of a play off the word journalist, but it was a journal list. And on that list were 157 different names that were, uh, that were, uh, identified. <clears throat> N- names that you would recognize in, in uh, various, uh, Websites and print media that you would recognize as well as television media. Uh, just to throw one out there. Um, I could throw a lot out there, but, um, Dana Goldstein, The Daily Beast, uh, um, Newsweek, Michael Hirsch, um, Ezra Klein from The Washington Post, Newsweek, and The American Prospect. Now, these are not, I'm not naming these names. These were the names on this journal list, but these are the, the individuals that reportedly all 157 reportedly were working with the um the, the Obama regime and the DNC primarily um to uh, uh to, to well, just to discuss the to paint a good picture for right. the to shape to shape the narrative right and I, you know i just like that word i just like the i, I the just word like narrative. the words of, i just like narrative i just like the word meme you know i i don't know maybe it's just my old fashioned style but i just don't like those words and i'm trying to i have some i don't like myself trying to figure out though what what can we use in the, in their place and what do we use before but having said all of that storyline storyline yeah that's that's okay with me um but okay, go on. But I, I want to remind people about that jur- journal list, and you can go ahead and search that J O U R N O, and then the word list all crunched together. But journalist, and, and remember what that was all about back then. But go ahead. So in, in her book, it makes a lot of different claims from her actually dedicating the book to what she says is Patriot Seth Rich. And she gets into that in the book a little bit. Now, what's interesting is, at first, I thought it, this was there was something here too, uh, with the way she was referring to Seth Rich. She did an interview on Sunday morning with George Stephanopoulos, where she stated that um, she said something along the lines of, "You did not have to uh, work with Hillary Clinton being the head of the DNC. You did not have to bury a child, Seth Rich." Right. Um, and in that context, it sounded it sounded as though she was relating the death of Seth Rich to something to do with the DNC and Hillary Clinton presidential run. But if you read the excerpt from her book, she goes on in the same sentence. She talks about Seth Rich to talk about the the Russian hacking and how she believed the Russians could have done it. And then that's when she says she had uh, closed her blinds for fear of snipers getting her, which, okay, whatever. But yeah. she makes a lot of okay, other allegations. Okay, so stop there, too, because I, I wanted to mention this. I went through yesterday after the show last night. I spent hours, and actually, uh, I didn't leave here until around two thirty, and then came back in here at five thirty. So, uh, but all that said, I went through hours of of um, other shows from Michael Savage to uh, Sean Hannity's mm-hmm. radio show to Rush Limbaugh, 
over the last couple of episodes. And, and I played on my show this morning a four-minute clip of Rush Limbaugh talking about Donna Brazil. Okay. Okay. I didn't hear that. All right. And here's what I thought was really interesting. He he did grab onto that Seth Rich, the connection with Seth Rich, and the fact that that um, she had mentioned this, but also, and I think this is the bigger story here. Um, the timing of the book and the timing of this admission, and also how the media and the democratic uh, globalists are treating her, and how they're they're kind of eating her and going after mm-hmm. her and uh, marginalizing her. So I think that there is some smoke, some fire to that smoke that we see with regard to Seth Rich and her admissions there. Well, also think about this: if journalists were being paid off to um, spread stories that promoted an anti-Trump storyline or narrative, and they were in bed with the Clinton and Obama administration, it would make sense why their reaction one year ago today was so dramatic and over the top. We played a clip on our show today in the first few minutes that was a compilation of media personalities' reaction to Donald Trump winning. And from Rachel Maddow to Lawrence (laughs) O'Donnell, I think Hannity played the same thing on his radio show today. But you heard this, they kept talking about doomsday and, and how dreadful it was and how they felt like they were dead or, or their life was taken it's, away from it's them. It's a nightmare. You're not living or you're living a nightmare. But what if that, part of the reason they reacted that way is because they <coughs> knew now that Hillary Clinton was not going to be the president, that they potentially, um, all these secrets could be uncovered about the collusion between the Clinton campaign and the mainstream media. The, and just all the other things that were ongoing there to try to delegitimize Trump in the, the years and months leading up to the election and possibly taking money to push stories that uh, were not true or to, to create an agenda. Right. Is that part of the reason why they reacted the way they did? That's a, a very real possibility. But Donna Brazil, we have to question her motivations. We have to take everything with a grain of salt. And if she, what, some of the things she's claiming, it should be very, I don't want to say simple, it should be, you should be able to verify if there was an agreement in place with Hillary Clinton campaign in the DNC. Well, well how the, can the, we get there that was. To the public? Now, now, there was an agreement in place. The DNC was left $24 million in the, in, in the red mm-hmm. by Obama. And Hillary paid 80% of that, I think. Right. With the, with the understanding that she would head that, that, that she would manage the DNC. Yeah, employment, uh, you know, she, right. she would oversee the, basically what Donna Brazil did, the day-to-day operations, who was employed in what positions, where the campaign, both statewide and na- nationwide, would spend their money, or the DNC's money, not, not even their campaign money, but the DNC's money. Then she turned around and gave them, what, 3.5 to 4 million a month allowance. There was an allowance. To keep the made, doors right? open and expenses paid. Right. And even at the state level, she siphoned all that money into her campaign. Which exactly? So, so you've got to look at it, look at that, look at the money, and the things. Obviously, and whoever has the money has the power and the control. It, it's it's obvious there. Uh, however, I'm looking at Donna Brazil, and and what you said, you know, you have to take some things with a grain of salt because she did lie about uh, about her participation in giving the talking points to Hillary Clinton, and she was loyal to Hillary Clinton. But what what Rush Limbaugh did say. And I have to agree with this. Outside of a couple of Secret Service agents and FBI agents who wrote some books, there's no, no one is close. This is as close to Hillary Clinton as anyone who has turned on Hillary. In other words, you, you haven't, 
had this, she was very close to the Clintons, even going back to their White House stay. All right, so for her to turn on them in the way she did, it's unprecedented with respect to the Clintons, who are just powerful, hungry, power-hungry people and, and nasty people, according to everyone, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, so I don't believe it's to sell books. I, I believe that she wrote this. I, and this is here, Here's my view, and, I, and the way I look at it and I, the way I explain it today briefly if you if you're dealing with a criminal or let's say a group of criminals because that's what we are dealing with and you get them all into different interrogation rooms and you've you've seen this on TV or police officers listening to this you know you could play one against the other and you could work you know work the uh work the uh, the uh, suspects against one another but i think i think she wanted to, number one get get this book out get it on record what what, what transpired i think it's more of an insurance policy this book and I think that there's more. I think the book represents the public part of it. There's a there's a private part that that also Donna Brazil has that has not been released and probably is in the hands of people close to her. But if everything she said was true so yeah. far, isn't what she said then, if it can be verified enough to, I guess where the the criminality of Hillary Clinton and the campaign and and they're working with the DNC between this agreement, the financial controls, is there anything illegal in what Hillary Clinton did? Um, under election no, laws, no, I don't, or, or I don't think so. So, so you're saying there could be, be a, a part two to this, where, as well, you said, it would be insurance, right? And, and I think, I think uh, I, w- I would turn to legal minds, for example, legal minds like Greg Jarrett, for example. I know that the uh, there's there's campaign finance laws and that there's the federal election Com- commission laws and such, but I don't think what she did with respect to the to the DNC is illegal. Uh, I don't think it. I, I don't know. I'm not an attorney, uh, but just from listening to legal minds, including Greg Jarrett and including uh, Judge Napolitano, I don't believe that, that there was anything overtly illegal, at least not what was admitted to uh, within her book, but certainly open toward uh, mismanagement. And I think that that was the, the stepping stone, obviously, that, that stole the election from Bernie Sanders. And you have to wonder as well, Bernie Sanders got paid off. I mean, I guess there's no wondering about it. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders ended up supporting Hillary Clinton. Bought right? a big summer home right after right. he was right. done with the primary. Uh, I believe it was in Vermont. He and other, uh, Hannity interviewed a few of Bernie campaigns, uh, Bernie Sanders campaign officials the other day. I'm not sure if you saw that. Yeah. Where they came out and said that they were basically forced to support Hillary Clinton and not make a big deal out of the primary or else they would face the same backlash that Donna Brazile is facing now. And that, uh, basically, without Bernie giving, uh, pushing back against Hillary Clinton, without him making this a public ordeal and involving other, uh, people in on this, by keeping quiet, he essentially, yeah, rolled over and, and said, sure, here you go, Hillary, we'll support you all the way. Right. And, and I think he, he saw the writing on the wall, um, at that time. So, yeah, I think that this is a big deal. And I think that, as time goes on, I think more will come out. Now, Donna Brazil was supposedly walking back some of her statements, but not really. That's the way it was, because my wife asked me about that today, uh, when I saw her, and she said, uh, she said, I don't, well, the, the question came up, was she walking it back? Was she walking some of this back? And the answer is no. I think that the media is trying to portray the fact that she, 
is uh, supposedly walking some of this stuff back or, or easing off of the accusations. But it's it's in the book. It's written, and she's out there, and she's saying not just no, but hell no to uh, being pushed around in the way that, that she was characterized. But she's also adding some uh, some um, sexism in the book as well. In other words, the accusations that that uh, because she was a woman, she wasn't, uh, you know, mook for example, didn't pay attention to her because she was black. There was little attention paid to her um, as factors. But now I'm not sure. Look, I, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there, but it, that's to me sounds a little bit um, questionable. Uh, well, maybe, maybe not. But, but regardless of that, the just the substance and the sum, some and substance of her accusations, I think. Or her assertions, I think, are, are worthy of, of further investigation. But the fact that that this draws Seth Rich into it, um, and the the answers to Seth Rich, it would destroy. Obviously, if Seth Rich was identified as the individual, or if it was identified that that uh, the DNC hack was actually a leak from within, and I have information on that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, there's an interesting write-up on RT, and it is titled, Zero Evidence for Claims Russia Hacked DNC, says NSA Whistleblower. William Binney is the NSA whistleblower who spoke right. to RT about his recent meeting with CIA Director Mike uh, Pompeo, where the discussed accusations that Russia meddled in the 2016 presidential election by hacking the Democrats. <clears throat> now, in this article, he, go- he goes on to, to cite the data logs that happened in the transfer of information from the DNC documents that was blamed on Russia agents as an inside job. He said analysts of the data transfer simply do not support the claim the documents were hacked by Russian agents as the U.S. intelligence community claimed in January. It was very clear it was a local download because of the speed and all, Benny said explaining how his colleagues set up a test between a data center in New Jersey and another in the U.K. and could not reproduce the download that took place on July 5, 2016. The approximate 16 gigabytes of data were downloaded in two bursts, totaling 87 seconds, one with a 12-minute pause between them. Yep. It had to be done locally, and it was. And and Benny is absolutely accurate. And and, um, when you listen to people... And regardless of what you think of him, George Webb, for example, the investigation he did, but the contacts he made um, during his investigation as well, the, the people we've spoken to, this was a local download onto, and based on everything we've been able to determine, a local download onto a onto a or multiple devices, a single device or multiple devices, um, because of the speed, you could you could not. You couldn't hack that. It, it was it was a download locally. Uh, so right. so that's true. Um, but, and but, then he goes on to say go that ahead. there's zero evidence of any collusion between Trump and Russia, and that mainstream media outlets have branded the VIPS analysis a disputed or fringe or conspiracy theory, while failing to apply the same level of skepticism to the U.S. intelligence community narrative that they released. He says their argument is shallow and weak, and when you have to throw labels at people instead of looking at the evidence, there's a problem, he says. So that's how the article ends, and that is on RT. And he also cites yep. examples of the intelligence community from the NSA to other organizations giving evidence to in different situations, from President Kennedy to um, Nixon, I believe, that he cites here, 
um, uh, and something about evidence with Japan in 1983. Um, there's, so there's, yes, there's yes. historic examples of intelligence agencies right. stepping in, providing evidence that is uh, needed to answer disputes, especially political disputes. And here we're a year out from the election, and there has been zero evidence of any type of Trump-Russia collusion, yet we have the investigation is ongoing and indictments are, are sealed. There's still more to come. Yeah, and, and, and after the break, I want to talk to you, and, and we should talk about the, the indictments because Reddit, 4chan, and, and look, we know, okay, we know. You, you don't have to send emails and stuff. We know about the plus, plus, plus. We know about that. We know about the anonymous. We know about the um, – yeah, we, know, we, we know, read everything. We, we know about that, all right, but, but – <laughs> And we, uh, the, oh, Hume, uh, Huma is indicted, or Hillary's indicted, or yeah, no, Podesta's uh, okay. arrested. Yeah, Podesta's in custody, and yeah. he's cutting a deal. Uh-huh. Okay, think before you start going down those roads. Don't don't fall into that that deliberate media um, or the deliberate uh, traps that are being set for the alternative media. Think before you do it. That's not to say don't investigate. Investigate. You know but, what's interesting? What's that? As you said, the traps that is set. In the alternative media, I've okay on these other uh, online forums like like 4chan and Reddit and yeah. all these places where people get these inform are getting this information from about Tony Podesta being arrested and you know indictments coming for Hillary Clinton. I've seen the, this type of information with many other stories: the outlandish, yep. plausible, yep. Uh, sounds good, looks good, all theories though. But I don't understand why people are are falling for it today. Is it because they want? It to be true so bad. Well, I, th- I think that they're hoping for it. And, and the indictments that, that happened, you know, they, look, we, we saw two indictments, and we know that other indictments are sealed. Uh, um, I'm not exactly certain as to when you look at the doc. Well, how do I explain this? When you look at the uh, docket, and that's the wrong word for it. But when you look at the, uh, I'll, I'll just use that word docket. When you look at, it, you could tell that there are other indictments that are sealed and pending. Yeah. All right, and, and you don't know. How many individuals are listed in that in each indictment? Exactly. So you know, just hold on a minute. Um, is it? This is well. We'll look more, at this more on the other side. Yeah, more back. on the other side though. You're listening to the Hagman Report. It is the eighth day of November 2017. A year ago today, uh, Rachel Maddow was crushed, as was uh, Chris Matthews and the snowflakes out there. We're gonna be right back. Stay with us. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, readers of end times fiction will be hard pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. back to this edition of the Hagman Report. A year ago today, we had a lot of tears, and uh, uh, not here, of course, but there were a lot of tears with the, within the mainstream media, and of course, uh, uh, the suicide watch for Rachel Maddow and Chris Matthews and others. Uh, but, uh, you know, and what happened to all of the celebrities who said, oh, no, I'm going to flee, I'm, gonna, I'm moving out of the United States. Did they move? I don't think so. I, I think they're still here. That According to the latest information we have, uh, that's a shame. Such a shame. But anyway, getting back to the, to, to the geopolitical area of things today, the, we were just talking about the indictments. Look, look, look. It's real simple. Um, it, well, it's not that simple, but to, to say that, for example, Hillary Clinton or Huma Abedin or someone else has been indicted, uh, to me is irresponsible because there's only really three places that could come from. The uh, special counsel and, and the team within the special counsel, the grand jury itself, or the in person being indicted, if they know even, all right? And they would only know um, either as, as a courtesy or as a as a courtesy by the, the special counsel to say get your affairs in order. 
which is sometimes does happen, unless, of course, your name is Paul Manafort, and then they just bust into your house at 5 in the morning. Um, but so, so any leaks would be not unprecedented, certainly, but I, you'd be, I'd be very careful. So the stuff that you see on 4chan and Reddit, and especially the people who, who um, write things anonymously and, and appear to have these long screeds of, of information. I'd just be very wary of that. Um, it's not to say that the, there, there may not be some value and merit to the information. I would just be very wary of anyone just posting anonymously saying, well, I know for a fact that this, this, and this is happening. Uh, now, uh, I, I do see a point where you could, uh, the uh, Senate investigation, I mean, Grassley's committee, for example, looking at the uh, the emails, the the Hillary slash Huma emails, uh, Judicial Watch, their their fruits of their labor, Tom Fitton and his group of people, which really Grassley should be doing and, and their committee should be doing, but you've got this private entity, Judicial Watch, doing. Um, yeah, there will be additional indictments. Now, I, it's my understanding, I don't know whether you heard, you heard this show because we haven't really spoken about this, but it is my understanding that there are additional indictments, at least two more coming perhaps as early as this Friday again. Did you, have you heard that? Sorry, I've seen a few things on social media about, you know, indictments filed today, sealed indictments filed today, but there was no way to connect them to anything that Mueller was doing or right, no way to exactly. differentiate where those sealed indictments came from. Right, right. And then, you know, you hear stuff, uh, last week we heard, you know, the possible indictment of General Flynn and his son. I wouldn't, now that, now there's some, there's some merit to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now outside of, outside of the anonymous postings, there's some merit to that where, where Flynn and or his son, if you, if you, you gotta go back to the, you gotta go back to the 31 page indictment that was, Against Manafort and, and look at the, at the footnotes, endnotes and, um, the periphery of that investigation. And also you kind of have to watch the actions of the special counsel and their team, including Weissman and what are they targeting. So Flynn, I don't think is that far of a reach, but go, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he is either, but his son, that's a, a different story in itself, but I don't know where, you know, a lot of people seem to, have two, there's obviously only two trains of thought on this. Some people are worried that it's going to have further reaching implications inside the people that work with and around Trump or did at least during his campaign. And then you have another group of people who believe that Mueller, um, is going to go and start indicting people from the Hillary Clinton campaign and, uh, and people associated with that there. So at this point, we don't know. I don't expect to see any Podestas, any Clintons caught up in indictments yes do they need to happen absolutely but do we expect robert mueller and the very swamp who has been working tirelessly to even protect hillary clinton a year after the election to turn around and suddenly go after her absolutely not i don't expect you, that you know it, yeah and i've seen comments and, and i'm sure people are commenting right now well i believe mueller is working on behalf of donald trump yeah. you really think that now what in the world would give you that idea? Look at, you know, it almost, it almost sounds plausible until you, until you realize the long-standing professional and personal, personal relationships, relationships between, uh, Mueller 
and Comey, and then you have to look at the actions of Comey and the uh, McCabe. You got to toss Andrew McCabe in there, and then you've got to look at. Uh, and don't forget, Mueller was FBI director, second longest FBI director, second only to J. Edgar Hoover, and look at his dealings with Hillary Clinton. And, and since when? I'll just toss this out there. Since when does the director of the FBI? act in concert with the Department of State to deliver uranium on a tarmac. Right. Okay. Um, you really? Okay, so all, all that considered, just what I just mentioned there, you really think that, that Donald Trump actually is, uh, and the way Mueller was appointed with the, with the recusal of Jeff Sessions leading to, leaving, uh, Rosenstein, and, and this couldn't be planned as as well. Um, how Comey sent leaked that 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 memo to his um, professor buddy, who leaked it to the news, which caused the recusal, which caused then Rosenstein to uh, uh, appoint his buddy Mueller as special counsel. That certainly does not suggest when, when you when you lay this out in a linear fashion. That certainly does not suggest Mueller is working on behalf of, of Donald Trump, unless I'm missing something really big. And boy, you'd have to convince me. You'd really have to, you'd have to get me drunk, I guess. I, you know, I, look, I don't know. Um, to, but I, no, 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 I don't believe that for a minute. Now, could it change? Does, if Mueller has a conscience and he looks at, at, and he, and he wants to get to the truth, could that change? Well, well, we hope so. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, not working for Donald Trump, but working for the truth, and the truth would lead to, um, you know, the tactics of, of, of Huma and, of course, uh, uh, Hillary. But the bottom line is this. Mueller right now was put in a place for one purpose only, and that was, to, that is to take down Donald Trump. That's, that's, right. That's the only, and the presidency and the, and, and of course our republic. And the will take away the will of the American people to reverse the elections of a year ago today. Absolutely, that's my and thing. Hannity today was talking about um, James Comey as far as the memo that came out when Comey was looking into the Hillary Clinton investigation, where he stated that it was gross negligence that Hillary Clinton was guilty of, and that apparently was a felony. Now, what I don't understand, he said something about the FBI changing the statute or even possibly the definition of gross negligence or Comey rewriting it to get away from that term gross negligence, which is... That's a legal status that appears in the, um, in the law. Okay, so it's, so called, it's actually a crime. I mean, okay, there, so yes, not, uh, what did he say? Gross incompetence? Uh, when he, when gross negligence, right. Gross negligence appears in the wording of the statute that applies to, um, the handling of the classified information. Okay. Gross, gross negligence. And, and I think it was, it was changed to a different phrase that means the same, but is not identical to what has been codified. I think it's 18 USC, uh, 1001, perhaps. I'm not sure of the, I'd have to look at my notes, but it's, it's, uh, it's in there. And in fact, I post, uh, if you go to at Hagman PI, I did post a panel that deals with the, uh, in fact, I, I might have it right here, just real quick, just, uh, okay. um, because this is important, okay? Um, 
and, and I, I know, again, Greg Jarrett talks about this, and, and I defer to legal minds like that because the, the law's funny, all right? Okay, with, with, okay, with respect to the Clinton emails, here it is. And, and I, I did this on my show. Boy, I'll tell you what, my eyes, I can't. Um, the print's so small. Okay, 18 U.S.C. 798. Hang on a second. What I do here? All right. All right. Uh, Espionage Act, knowingly and willfully mishandling classified information. So that's 18 U.S.C. Section 798. 18 U.S.C. Section 793, subsection F, is the Espionage Act, mishandling classified information through gross negligence. That's the key phrase. Okay, so 18 U.S.C. Section 793, subsection F, of the Espionage Act, details mishandling classified information through gross negligence. Those, that phrase gross negligence was switched to, um, something much less, and it's all semantics. And then you've got 18 USC section 1924, which is the public officer's law, which means that given your position, you cannot remove, um, or change, expunge, cl- uh, uh, classified material. It's got to be maintained. And then lastly, 18 U.S.C. Section 2071, which is the Federal Records Act. And that uh, is a removal. That that speaks to the removal and destruction of government records. And, and I went over this in my, I think it was last week in my morning show, uh, one of the morning shows. But, but very important to, to know. And as well, since we're on laws, when you look at Uranium One, uh, you, you get a whole big host of laws. You've got 18 U.S.C. 201 B and C, federal bribery statute, federal gratuity statute. You've got uh, mail fraud, which is 18 U.S.C. 1341, uh, 1343 wire fraud statute, again, 18 U.S.C. Uh, Section 666, uh, the program bribery statute, and then you've got uh, Section, uh, Section 1952, which is the Travel Act, and then um, Section 1931 through 1968, the RAC, or the RICO Act, basically. I'll just leave it at that. So that's on Uranium One. The previous is on the uh, emails. So now that I, if you if you're quick and you, you can write those down, or just go to Ad Hagman PI. The panels are up there. I don't know how you do that um, on Twitter, but I don't know. You can find it, right? I guess you can. I think I I punched it over to. Hagman report too. So, anyway, so that's that. So yeah, there's, and, and uh, again, with respect to 4chan and Reddit, those postings. Uh, how do you feel about that? I, I mean, you know, I've been I've been reading a lot of these forums for years now. So I've been, I guess, I can easily identify what is uh, being put out there as disinformation or a good story or theory versus versus you know fact and evidence. And I believe you have a lot of people on these, these forums and, and message boards who really want to dig and find the truth, but you have a, a percentage who are very good at storytelling, very good at what you would call Tom Clancy type novel writing. And you have people, uh, let me give you an example. And, and this could be true to some degree, but there's a lot of speculation in it. And it's about the Vegas shooting. One of the big stories on these message boards the last few days is with the Saudi Arabian uh, anti-corruption purge that's been going on. It's been tied, some people have been trying to tie it to the Vegas 
shooting, saying how because Saudi Arabia owns, you know, the top of the Mandalay Bay, which is the Four Seasons, it was an assassination attempt that didn't work. And you know, I'd almost buy big, that. I, absolutely. I, I almost no, I, that's what I mean. These things are so convincing. Yeah. With just a little bit, a littlest amount of connections or evidence that you have to look at it and say, okay, what can I prove? What can I... Uh, but, I mean, it's a great story, and it makes more sense than anything the media or the law enforcement has told us so far. Which but, is really nothing, but... I mean, there's areas that. in here of things you can't prove, like was there actually uh, important Saudi princes who they mention at the hotels or in Las Vegas at the time? Uh, this, you know, depends on what Paddock's role was. And I mean, it's great stories. There's There's excellent stories in here, and a lot of times, as you just said, they make more sense than what the actual truth is sometimes. But... Without the evidence or corroborating evidence to, to put it together, it's just that, a story. And until that evidence is forthcoming with the, this story or any other story that's on these message boards, we have to be careful and we have to proceed with caution. Yeah, I, I look, I have a problem with, um, with just relying upon the open source information from, from anonymous postings on, on message boards. Um, during the day, just so you know what we do, we talk with other people who are, uh, that we don't name because we just don't name them, alright? We don't have them on as guests, but they provide background information for the material we talk about. And just as a thumbnail, uh, for every hour of talk like this we, we do, there's probably three hours of preparation that goes into that. So, um, you know, without the guests, it's just, just pure information. So, you know, for Joe's show, for my show, it's about three hours of prep time. And, and that's a rule of thumb average. So having said all of that, um, when you get people who come on this program or other programs who are just relying on open source information and evaluating that alone, that's pretty deficient. And, and so I, I believe irresponsible to, to say, to, to just to rely upon your intuition and your and open source information. You can, you can, unless you say, well, this is my, you know, my opinion, but to, to roll it out as fact is something different. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, but, but this, we, we need to watch. Uh, I do believe that, that lastly, uh, Sean Hannity's making a difference. I do believe that Laura Ingram is making a difference in the corporate, the people in the corporate world. And other, other people are taking notice now, including Rush Limbaugh. There's, they are making a difference because they're bringing out the, uh, through repetition. And it's, it's sometimes frustrating because this is, you know, you might say, well, this is all they're talking about. Uranium One. We've known about this for how many years now? Mm-hmm. Yet, it's important because now it's gaining traction. Now we have to push even harder. So, you may think you've heard this, but all of the little nuances, it's to me, it's very important to really get into the uh, nooks and crannies to drink, to to really clean all of that out and to um, be very precise in what we say. Um, so, uranium one, I believe, is 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 one aspect. The emails is another aspect, and then of course you've got the the those are the core issues with respect to Clinton, along with Brazil turning on Clinton and the DNC, that whole DNC mess, including the Awans, which I mentioned at the beginning of the show. So all of this together um, before Congress and, and Fusion GPS. By the way, Fusion GPS, did you happen to see where the Russian attorney who 
met, yes, with. met with Trump Jr. Yeah, met with Fusion GPS officials before That's and right. after the meeting with Donald Trump Jr. Yep. Yes, I heard that on Hannity on the way over here, and he said it. It looks to him like it's a setup. And what's interesting here is, okay, I guess I, I don't understand completely Fusion GPS's role in the Hillary Clinton campaign. Well, they were because we yeah. see on, on uh, they were hired by Perkins Coy. Okay, as think of it this way, uh, Fusion GPS, although they're it's a group of three journalists, Glenn Simpson and two others. They, they think of them being as like a, a PI doing a background check. Okay, so they're a third party company right. contracted to do some form of service. Right, and and uh, the DNC or officials thereof hired Perkins Coy. Perkins Coy spent nine million dollars for that dossier, <laughs> if that's what you want to call it, Jeez. nine million that involved Christopher Steele. That was then used as the basis for the FISA warrants and wiretaps against uh, Donald Trump. At the yeah. same time that Obama was doing the unmet, or Obama changed the the rules to allow Rice and others within the intel inside and outside the intelligence communities to unmask and to spread the names of the campaign people of Donald Trump before the election, after the election, and around Inauguration Day, which gave rise to what we're seeing today. I hope that makes sense. No, it does, and I'm glad you laid it out, because think about this. With the media hyperventilating and going crazy over this Russian collusion slash opposition opposition research claims against Trump and members of his campaign, they, it turns out, were the ones that paid you know, the, the Russians for the dossier. Fusion GPS met with the lawyer from and Russia that is. Donald Trump Jr. met with before and after Donald Trump Jr. met with him. And there it is, So yes. if there's outrage and crimes committed by Donald Trump Jr., then it's just as much on the Hillary Clinton campaign as well. But it's... But you don't hear the backlash. You don't hear the media hyperventilating. But it's even it. worse than that. It, it's it's a setup. It's a, think of it this right. way. Um, you, okay, you, you, you've got a handler... And you meet with the handler before the setup, and then after for an after-action report. That's what I'm reading into this. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. as simple as that. Now I know that there's some additional things, but 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 that's kind of how it works out. But so and then explain yeah. to me how can Trump Jr. get in, tr- get in <laughs> trouble for meeting with somebody under a context, two different contexts, one of. of um, what was it, an adoption <laughs> laws, and then two, right. it was opposition, only opposition research against Hillary Clinton, which he never received any information or materials from this lawyer. But that's a Precisely. problem. But, you know, Hillary Clinton and her associates and, and third-party contractors can pay millions of dollars to have one created from, you know, Russians and, and people associated with uh British intelligence, but that's right. that's okay. That's uh, you know. Well, that's not a problem. in the in the other aspect of this that I think people are missing too, and this is a huge part of this is the venue. Where where did all of this take place? It took place where at Trump Tower. Now, Donald Trump was was not incorrect. I mean, he was he was correct. Maybe you maybe the word might might be more archaic when he said he was wiretapped. 
He was under surveillance for sure. Mm-hmm. And that surveillance was a political, um, it, it was the weaponization of the intelligence apparatus against Donald Trump, against the political opposition, which only happens in third world countries and, of course, the uh, Obama regime. Uh, joke, I guess that landed flat, but, um, so, so the, the, the fact that this meeting was set up for, set up for and conducted in Trump Towers, uh, I believe was deliberate and even, shall I say, convenient for the surveillance of the, um, it would be like, it would be like, um, somebody coming, let's say you've got a bunch of people living in your house. And one, only one of those people in your house is the target, in quotation marks, of this warrant. You go in there and the, the, uh, the individual that's the investigator goes in there, talks to this one person, but around them in, in, in the same vicinity are all of these other people that live there or work there. You gain additional knowledge and, in, uh, um, uh, information kind of by accident or or incidental um we used to in the in the investigative business it was incidental uh, data collection and and that i think is what was taking place with respect to this meeting but it was set up for that precise purpose i don't know if okay you get that idea yeah no it, it makes sense it's just so as i've been saying on the daily show and and even on our on this show how frustrating it is to sit back and watch the media and their their hypocrisy, their double standards, their protection of the corruption and evil in our political system, and then they have the the gall to turn around and and you know uh, just bash Trump, bash Trump supporters, and anything that Trump does. Kind of switching gears in the last few minutes of this hour. Did you guys see the reaction? To one, the three gubernatorial races won by Democrats in Democratic states yesterday. You have the, you know, these media gushing, uh, from the view, make you feel better about the country today, uh, to ABC and George Stephanopoulos, diversity and inclusion, um, won yesterday, a rejection of Trump. And, and all these people celebrating like, um, you know, they even say, oh yes, you know, it's the, we're going to take everything in the midterm elections just based on, you know, the Virginia gubernatorial election. It's all nonsense. And we see also, we didn't talk about this yesterday today, Rand Paul. Rand Paul was attacked by his neighbors. Yes. Oh, okay. This is socialist. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently that hasn't, political views have nothing to do with this. Rand Paul was mowing his lawn and he was, Attacked from behind or, or the sides whenever he's cutting his grass. Wait, did you see that? Did you see before you go further? Did you see? The, hit the mic off for a second. Okay, all right. So Taco, we we had to take care of business here. There, uh, a, so a, a Kentucky newspaper injured Rand Paul, not a perfect neighbor. The, the newspaper <laughs> goes on to basically tear down Rand Paul for being a, a bad neighbor and that he deserved what he got. But the okay is it is it the main the main one? You gotta go down a little bit. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's the main one. Uh, it's right. Yeah, yeah. This that's one? it. That that, that, that up, up up. Yeah, right there. Okay. 
So Rand Paul's neighbor, Rand Paul's neighbor blasts attacker. Absolutely no justification for. This had nothing to do with. This had nothing to do with the the yard landscaping. Okay, because that's what they first tried to say. Nothing to do with that at all. Anyway, Rand Rand Paul has six broken ribs. He had a, a a a lung that was punctured. Yep, and he has fluid all around his lungs. Pretty serious injuries yep. uh, for for just a little minor dispute. But uh, long story short here, he was cutting his grass. He was tackled, blindsided by his neighbor of 17 years, an anesthesiologist, while he was mowing his lawn. And this, this guy was only charged with a fourth-degree misdemeanor, even though Paul's injuries were serious. And on the other side, we'll get into what this article is saying, uh, because I haven't read this. I'm going to go through this during the break. But what was this dispute about? We will find out on the other side. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report on this one-year anniversary of the election, 2016 presidential election, where Trump shocked the world, specifically the media in this country and the political establishment. And it's a day Booyah. to remember. And I went back and watched The Daily Show today. We played a bunch of clips of you know different people's reactions to that, and that was a feel-good moment. We'll be right back. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. 
Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is the first anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the election of Donald Trump, and it's it, it is kind of it's a statement, I think, uh, Joe, isn't it? When you, when you look back, and you did this on the Daily Show, you and John played clips of the a year ago today, the, the the reaction by the press, and to me. Uh, an honest press. If you if you call yourself a journalist, and I'm not, we're not journalists, okay? We are not. That's we're just like we're not ministers or pastors. We're certainly not journalists by definition. A journalist, a reporter. You report. You, you go to the scene of a crime. You report the facts. That's it. And wherever the you know. Now, the commentaries. The, the everyone had this. Really, everyone had an agenda that night. And the agenda was for Hillary Clinton to win, obviously. Even many at Fox News were upset. Shepard Smith, for example, it seemed to me. That's my view, anyway. I don't, I don't know. But but the, the, to, to watch the meltdown of these people, right? I mean, it's just it's it's ridiculous. Now, wasn't there some screaming at the, at the sky scheduled today? Was that? Yeah, uh, that was the... Did anyone do it? I, you know, Jackie put a poll out on Twitter... That I have not seen, but it was, are you gonna, something along the lines of, are you gonna participate in the Scream at the Sky event today? One answer was no way, one answer was yes, and what was the other one, Eric? Do you remember the third option that she? Yeah, there's, there are things I like to scream about, so maybe. Oh, she like she kind of left a, a soft out there. So, yeah, okay. But, yeah. um, I think 4% answered that one, and I didn't get the stats from the other two. But I, I didn't hear or see anything about it today in all the reading and... and you you uh, got to be a little titch to be doing that, yeah. really. As I mentioned, Portions of Nice Broadcast brought to you by Casper Mattress, casper.com slash CFP radio. You might ask, what is a Casper? Oh, my goodness. It's the most incredibly wonderful mattress that I've ever had the pleasure of sleeping on. We have Casper mattresses in our home. Uh, my wife and I sleep on a Casper mattress. I've got one in the guest bedroom. Uh, I've got a, a king in the master bedroom and, and then a queen in the uh, guest bedroom where I'm vanquished to when I come home late and have to leave early or leave early so I don't disturb my wife. But I would sleep on nothing but a Casper mattress. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create this exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Let me tell you, you will never have a better sleep. This has been my experience with a Casper mattress. Even when we go for a day or two or five to conferences, I miss my Casper and and even Lady the Studio Dog loves the Casper mattress, and, and I'm being serious about this. If 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 you look, there are um, if we had three mattresses, um, 
the option of three mattresses. Lady of the Studio Dog would take the Casper all of the time. As a matter of fact, Casper makes beds for your pets, which is incredible. But at Casper, mattresses are perfectly designed for, for us humans. They're engineered to soothe and cradle your natural shape and geometry. You spend, you know, you spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Casper mattresses provide all of the support the human body needs in all of the right places. Believe me, that is the case. I've got a bad back. I've got shoulder problems. I'm just, I'm just falling apart. But Casper gives me the sleep that I, I can actually sleep. The quality is second to none. They combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amounts of both a sink and bounce. The breathable design, and then that's an issue with, with others, but, but this, the breathable design helps you with, helps you to sleep cool, it regulates your body temperature throughout the night. It's designed, developed, and assembled in the United States. And with over 20 thousand reviews and an average 4.8 stars across uh, Casper, Amazon and Google. Casper is becoming the internet's favorite mattress. You wonder why I'm spending time on this? Because I love it. I, this is a product I truly, truly believe in. Um, uh, look, you can be you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on a trial. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now the affordable price as well. Affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman, sells directly to the consumer, to you. And as I mentioned, there's no hassle returns if you're not completely satisfied. A hundred night guarantee, hundred night risk free, risk free sleep on a trial. This is amazing. And by the way, when, when it comes to you, you're going to love this. And I just, my wife and I just got, got a kick out of this. The box was delivered and the, the man who delivered the, the mattress. Now you gotta remember, this is a king size mattress. Asked me what was in the box because it was small, but dense and heavy. And I said, a mattress. He said, no. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And honest to goodness, if he had time, he would have come up and watched me unbox it. But when we unbox it, it's, it's fun because it, um, they give you a little tool that, uh, it's, it's just, it's just a great experience all around. Um, but, uh, but we've had nothing but compliments from our guests, uh, that who sleep over at night at our home. But here's the deal. We've got a special deal for you. Go to casper.com slash CFP radio. That's casper.com slash CFP radio. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash CFP radio and use our code CFP radio at checkout. Let me say this one more time. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash CFP radio and using CFP radio code at checkout. Now, terms and conditions apply. Okay. But this is the, I guarantee you, you will thank me. You will call me up. You will send me an email saying, I, I can't believe I love this mattress so much. Trust me when I tell you. It's the, it, to me, it's the greatest. Casper.com slash CFP radio coupon code CFP radio for $50 toward your purchase of a mattress. Terms and conditions apply. And again, Joe, you, you've been, you've slept on the Casper. You know yeah. what it's like. Yeah, they're very comfy. And Eric the tech and Jackie, I mean, and even Lady the studio dog. But see, 
That's because you see how we look. We don't we look refreshed? I mean, look at us. Don't we look refreshed? <laughs> oh man, that's great. So the, the anyway, website you uh, referred me to, that Paul story, yes, has another interesting article on it. And I, I want to hit this real quick. Manhattan, Manhattan DA, we can't have national reciprocity because of ISIS. Manhattan District Attorney yeah. Cyrus Vance Jr. has a word of caution for those who support national reciprocity. If law-abiding Americans' concealed carry permits are recognized equally across the country, it will make ISIS members apply for concealed carry permits in record numbers. Can you explain that to me? Can you explain that to me? Well, the, the, in sarcasm, the author here goes on to say, following gun laws has always been ISIS's weakness. Oh, okay. Running over All innocence right. with a car isn't a bridge too far for ISIS, but illegally <laughs> obtaining a firearm is. Anyway, you can read this story on the Dana, uh, Dana, oh goodness. Yeah, uh, whatever. But, okay, but, so the Dana they, Show website. Tongue in cheek, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. But back so, to Ron, Rand Paul. Yeah. Because this is interesting. I did not read this piece about the no, okay, the neighbors in this gated community are all saying that not only is there not a landscaping dispute, there has never been a known landscaping dispute right, or other right. dispute between Rand Paul and his neighbor. And not only that, if you think about this, Rand Paul, as the article says, was cutting his own grass. And how many U.S. senators cut their own grass? You know, Probably one. But to be attacked blindsided while cutting the front lawn. I, I, I have a hard time with that. That that's what he was doing, but okay, maybe he was. And why are the charges so low? That's my that's my that's problem. the issue. Um, and we one thing that's pointed out in the article: there's no media. Uh, the media is not digging into this guy's social media post. They're not. I mean, they're not making a big deal of it, except to try to blame Rand Paul that he's a bad neighbor or you know a, a bad person, a, a person who can't take care of his yard properly. And it is um, very disturbing to these neighbors. They say. By this bizarre attack, they don't know uh, why or, or what, but they say it has nothing to do with a neighborly dispute between, uh, you know, from landscaping disputes or otherwise. They no, think it it's is not, politically it's, motivated, right? And and I do believe that it is politically motivated. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. There's more to come. I, I believe this too. There's more to come, and we are seeing the parting gifts too. Um, this is kind of off the soft topic, but I, w- I want to mention parting gifts by Obama. Uh, he ordered the head of the IRS to make sure that the penalties with respect to not having Obamacare or the insurance are enforced for the calendar year 2017. What was his last year? 2016. So it would be the following year. Um, but anyway, I, I, there's a reason why I wanted to mention that. Well, I, I guess it was just to re- reinforce the fact that these Obama holdouts are still within the uh, um, government and the GOP establishment, Republicans, the rhinos, they're not doing anything. Well, they're not allowing Donald Trump to clean house, and they're fighting him at, at, at every turn. Now, Rand Paul, I, I think that uh, he was targeted for more than one purpose. By this neighbor, but it was now. Did that neighbor have a history? I think that neighbor had a history of being a little wacky. Yeah, he got into a dispute with another neighbor over his dog uh, defecating in this area of the neighborhood, and that was six years ago, according to the article. But nothing else about him. 
has come out. You know, the media has really underplayed this and not reported on it. We don't know much about this guy. It would be interesting to read his his social media history. It would be interesting to to see We're what do he that. supports. Um, if I, it has I think been I think private okay. already. So, so we're gonna we're gonna make. Uh, all right, Jackie. Uh, thank you. Okay, we're, task list. You yeah, got we'll, it. okay. We'll she see got. What we can it. Get All right, from so that. we're going to do that. I'm sure somebody's been already digging on it anyway. So we'll see um, where that leads. We have our guest with us for oh, yes. the second hour, uh, Mr. Howard Storm. He was a university professor, having earned his master's degree at UC Berkeley as an atheist as well. He was overcome with an illness while on vacation in Paris, a severe illness that proved to be both devastating and life-changing. That illness led to a near-death experience back in 1985, and Mr. Storm is jo- has joined us to talk about that near-death experience, as well as his book, My Descent into Death, A Second Chance at Life. Mr. Storm, welcome to the Hagman Report. Well, thank you. It's nice to be with you. Well, it's great to have you. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about your life and everything that is relevant that led up to your trip to Paris, which led to you, your experience? I was born in uh, 46. My father fought in World War II in the Pacific in the United States Navy. Came home. Um, my mother and father had me. I had two older sisters and um, my father, like a lot of veterans, he felt like he had lost, you know, four years of his life in the service of his country, and he was passionate about um, making it in business, and he was very successful. He was driven. He worked all the time. Um, he was a good provider, but uh, an absent father. Uh, we were taken to church on Sunday. It in those days, back in the 50s and early 60s, it, it felt like everybody went to church, went to Sunday school. Um, I really liked it, but when I became a teenager, I was very rebellious and uh, decided that the church was a lot of hypocrisy, um, largely because of the way I saw it not being applied in our home. And... Um, Went to college at the age of 17, took philosophy. My first professor was an atheist, and uh, I was quite taken with him and convinced that he was right. I eventually um, became a professor at Northern Kentucky University, and um, I thought I knew all the answers, which were all materialism. Um, science knew everything, and what it didn't know, it was going to find out. Um, I didn't. I thought religion was uh, just a lot of uh, fairy tales and nonsense. So uh, when I was 38 years old, going to, uh, I was leading an art tour of students through Europe. We were on the next, the last day of our three-week trip, and I had this um, perforation of my small stomach at 11 o'clock in the morning on June 1st, 1985. Um, it was the most acute pain I'd ever experienced in my life took me to the ground screaming and crying and I was um, rushed to a hospital, the big city hospital Paris and examined in the emergency room they told me I had to have surgery within the hour and if I didn't have the surgery I would die doctors told me in the United States later that my outside 
uh, life expectancy at that time would have been maximum of five hours. I was taken to the surgical wing of um, the Hospital General de Assistance Public de Paris and waited for a surgeon on Saturday because of the socialized medicine. Um, there was no surgeon available to do my surgery. Nobody told us that, though. So we waited and waited and waited. Um, this started at 11 o'clock in the morning and 8.30 that night. A nurse came into the room. I had never, I, when I went to that surgical hospital, I never saw a doctor that entire day. Um, when I, I was given no, no painkillers, no medicine, um, no top sheet, no blanket, no pillow. Um, I was given nothing. I laid on a bed and waited wow. 10 hours. 10 hours. And with a life expectancy of five. Right. At the most. Yeah. yeah. And of course, now, you, you should, um, just as an aside, you should uh, be exhibit A in the, uh, uh, Congress testify, you know, on behalf <laughs> of, yeah, uh, the, yeah on behalf okay. of socialized medicine and, and make all the Congress people sign up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. But that's not the story. The story, I mean, obviously that's, but the story is there you are and, um, you ain't getting any better. You need surgery. And uh, no, no pain. I mean, that had to be excruciating pain because my wife went through something very similar—not a perforation, but a something. It was a congenital something that happened. That yeah, she needed surgery at three o'clock in the morning, right then and there. And there was a surgeon right there. Yeah, you know. But yeah, the the, the pain was um, over the top. Um, doctor they talked to said it's it's about the worst worst pain possible. Um, anyways, and it just kept getting worse and worse because the. Uh, Hydrochloric acid and the, di- the digestive juices and bacteria were um, migrating through my entire abdominal cavity. What started off as a point of pain became my whole abdomen. Anyways, so at 8.30 that night, a nurse came into the room and said they were una- unable to locate a doctor. They would try, and she definitely used the word try. Um, they would try and get one the next day, Sunday. And when she said that, I had been, um, I knew I was dying, and so I knew that that it was hopeless um there was no point in trying to fight well the fight was basically trying to breathe um it was really really hard to breathe and so anyway so i just stopped i said goodbye to my wife tell my kids that i love them etc and um closed my eyes and went unconscious and um i awoke from that and i was standing next to the bed I was in my body. I felt great. I was so happy because the pain was gone and I was, I felt better than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And the thing that was very upsetting was that, um, in the bed that I had been in was a thing that looked just like me. But I refused to accept that that was me because I was alive standing next to the bed and I was not that, um, dead piece of meat lying in the bed that looked like me. I tried to communicate with my wife and, um, no response from her and I heard people calling me out outside the room by name in English and they said uh, you've got to come with us now hurry up let's go and I said I'm supposed to have surgery I need a doctor and they said we know all about you let's go so I left the room and went into the dark hallway and this group of people led me on a very very long journey into ever increasing darkness 
And um, uh, if I can, Mr. Storm, I want to ask you this because uh, I'm just intrigued by these kind of stories. You said that okay, so you're in you're in a you're in Paris. You get this illness. You're in the hospital. The medical treatment is not forthcoming. You you slip unconscious, and next thing you know is what you're just describing. You're standing next to your bed, looking at yourself, but not really mentally accepting it, and and just trying to figure out you know what, exactly what's going on. And you said a, a people, like plural. Did you see these people who called your name in English and, and told you you had to go? Yes, but they stayed back in the darkness. Um, I I became aware that they did not want me to really identify them. Um, it, the the hallway, everything was some um, kind of uh, uh, blurry and unclear. So I. Um, okay. I know there were people. They weren't monsters or anything. They weren't demons. They were just people. But um, so they led me into this darkness, and they started becoming increasingly um, rude and frightening. And so I said, I'm not going to go with you any further. I want to go back, which was a bluff because I, I'm, in, I'm in complete darkness now. I don't know where back is. I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't know anything. So anyways, um, they said, no, you've got to go further. So they started to push and pull at me, so I fought with them. And I'd played, I'd wrestled and uh, played football and stuff in high school, so I knew how to fight. And um, there were a lot of them, um, dozens, hundreds, I don't know, um, lots. And they um, they were playing with me, and then um, they started getting more vicious and more invasive, biting, scratching, tearing. And basically what they were doing was uh, tormenting me because um, they were so um, completely lacking in, in feelings or compassion. I mean, they had no compassion. They had no love. And so the only thing they had was just uh, tearing other people apart, particularly the, the new kid, the new fish in the in the prison that they were in. And so um, eventually they did a lot of um, incredibly um, horrible things to me. And I was laying in that place, and I heard a voice that I think was coming out of my chest because it sounded like me but it wasn't coming out of my wasn't coming out of my mind or my throat but it, um, and it said pray to God and I thought I don't know how to pray I don't pray and the voice said pray to God and I said I don't know how to pray I can't pray the voice said pray to God and I thought okay when I was a kid and went to Sunday school we learned prayers and I was trying to remember something that I had memorized as a child you know 30 years earlier whatever and I was like uh, coming up with the Pledge of Allegiance and um, you know uh, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and finally I came upon um, the Lord is my shepherd, and I came upon little bits, um, glory, glory, hallelujah, His truth goes marching on, just little bits and pieces that had some God in it. And the people around me, um, and I think this is important, they could not bear the mention of God. And although these prayers coming from me were coming from an unbeliever in anything they couldn't stand it so they withdrew back into the darkness and left me alone and in that place of darkness I got to think about my life and um, all the time in the world of course down there because there's no time or all time and the conclusion that I came to was is that I had lived a rotten life not been a good son to my parents, a good brother to my sisters, a good husband to my wife, a good father to my children, a good 
mentor to my students, etc., and that I had been flushed down the sewer pipe of the universe into the cesspool, and that's where I was, was in the in the cesspool um, of the universe with the other people who had lived garbagey lives, and that's, that is where I belong. The only problem was I didn't want to be there, and I didn't want to be there forever, and I knew that's what was supposed to happen to me, and so I just sank into um, the absolute depths of despair and in that place, my mind conjured up the memory of myself as a little boy sitting in Sunday school singing, Jesus Loves Me. And when I had that vivid memory, I also had the vivid memory of believing that there was this wonderful person named Jesus who really loved me. And when I was a little boy, I used to say my prayers to him and things. And so I called out to him. I called out, Jesus, please save me. And when I did that, a uh, tiny little light like a star appeared in the darkness and it got very bright, very fast and came over me and out of it emerged hands and arms and reached down and touched me and I was able to see the horrible gore that I was, just a mass of gore. And when he touched me, all of that um, faded away and I was made whole again. And more importantly than that was that he filled me with his love and his hands reached around my back and he picked me up as if I weighed nothing to him and he held me up against him and rubbed my back and let me cry all over him out of joy and then um, to my great surprise and astonishment he started uh, we started going up um, with him carrying me, we're just li- lift, lifted off and we're traveling through space and like I'm crying and I'm so happy and I'm trying to get a little bit of composure together because I'm getting a little embarrassed about being such a baby and uh, I look and we're headed towards a world full of light and I'm feeling that love come from there and I know, I just know then that that's like heaven and that's where God lives, that's God's home up there where, where we're headed and I had this thought, which was, I'm a piece of filth. He's made a terrible mistake. I don't belong there, meaning heaven. And with that, we stopped immediately, and he spoke to me for the first time, and he said, we don't make mistakes. You do belong here. And my next thought was, how did you know I thought that? And he laughed and said, I know everything you've ever thought. And then I thought, I am really uncomfortable with the fact that you know everything I've ever thought. <laughs> and I started to yeah, think. Of- I, I was, I was I just going to say, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I oh boy. Think about the things that I didn't want him to know that I was, I had thought about. And he laughed some more. He, he thought that was pretty funny because when you try and think about not thinking about things, of course you think about them. So it's like, yeah. it was, um, anyways, it was, I was really relieved that he had a sense of humor about the whole thing because, um, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know him. And unfortunately, I think in the world too many people don't know him. I wish a lot of pe- more people knew him and knew what a wonderful person he is besides being the son of God. And uh, 
So we began to converse, and he told me he had people um, that he wanted me to meet, and um, he called out and brought over what I call, refer to as a group of angels. What they were, were they were my guardian angels, and he said that they wanted to show me my life. So we went through my life um, in incredible detail in chronological order, and as we went through my life, they shared with me their joys and their sorrow at the things that we watched together. And I can sum it all up very simply. Um, God created me and all of us to um, be compassionate and to care for each other. And it pleases God when we do that, and it displeases God when we don't do that. Um, as Jesus said, you know, this is my commandment, love one another. It's really simple. Um, and I had failed the course. And so when it was done, he said, do you have any questions? And I said, I've got a million questions. He said, ask whatever you want. So I asked him everything that I could think of to ask him, and everything I asked, he answered clearly, carefully, concisely. He showed me things. He took me places. Um, we had... Well, like where? If, if I can ask this, I mean... I know, and I'm sure, well, your book, um, you don't have to give anything away in your book, but like where? Um, when you say it took you places, heavenly well, places we, or earthly places? We, we went to heaven. We went to the this world in the future. We went to uh, the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus. We went to a concentration camp because I asked him about wow uh, the Jews and um, death camps and stuff. I mean, we we were all over the place, and uh, if I can stop you, the future would it be like way in the future or now in the future? Two hundred years from now. Two hundred years from now. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, it, it it was like the greatest greatest experience in my life because anything that I wanted to know, he wanted me to understand. And of course, part of the problem was is that me being a little human being, um, some of my questions were um, beyond my pay grade, so to speak, and he'd have to he'd have to uh, make the answers really um, you know, child child-like simple so that I could get it you know um, but anyways because um, I, I didn't have any um, capacity for understanding more sophisticated answers. Anyhow um, when we when I exhausted every every question that I had, um, I said, "I want to go to heaven. I want you know this like a no brainer. I want to be in heaven forever because heaven's great. It's wonderful." And uh, he said, "No, you're not ready for that. You got to go back and um, try and live the way that we've talked about." And so we had a big argument, and I argued as forcefully as I could for going to heaven and not sending me back to this world. And he. Um, very kindly and um, gently defeated all of my arguments and persuaded me that it was in my best interest to come back and give um, this thing we call life another try. And so that's um, so finally I agreed and he sent me back and that's what I've been trying to do. When I was sent back, immediately when I was back in the body, back in the pain, back in the bed, it was now around 9 o'clock at night and the nurse who'd been in the room at 8.30 came back into the room and she said, a doctor's arrived at the hospital, and you're going to have the surgery. And I had the surgery at 10 o'clock that night. Very interesting. Our guest is Howard Storm. His book, titled My Descent into Death, 
A Second Chance at Life. We're talking with Mr. Storm now about his near-death experience. So what was happening in the time from when you went unconscious to when the the doctor came? Did they declare you dead? Were um, you just barely hanging on? What was the medical status of your... There was nobody in that room except me, my wife, and uh, a roommate. I'm a 68-year-old Frenchman, so I... um, I, I mean, I asked them later, what was I doing? They said, you didn't do anything. You didn't move. You weren't breathing. You were just, you were just laying there. Wow. Okay. okay. I thought a doctor or nurse ever came into the room. Hmm. All right. Um, I, you know, during that whole day, I maybe saw a nurse for like less than a minute, five times, and never saw a doctor in 10 hours in that hospital. Yeah. So. Yeah, certainly an indictment on, on socialized medicine, to, to be certain. Um, all, all right. How, how long in our time, physical time, do you think that this took? That half hour? You know, I, I, I've um, thought about that a lot, and I'm absolutely convinced that it took a lot longer than it took me to go through graduate school, which was three and a half years. <laughs> See, what, the way I explain it is I, I left this world and went outside of our time and then was plopped back in. Okay. You know? I, I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, so in other words, yeah, you, you can't really... Okay, so so when you were out of your body, it was it would be the equivalent of three and a half years of no. in-body yeah. Okay. Wow. I I get that. I understand that. Okay. Did, did, did you? Boy, this might sound like a idiotic question. Uh, did you see anybody you knew? Um, the guardian angels asked me if I wanted to see them in um, a human form, and I said no. Um, actually, I said no. I hate people. I never want to see people again. Boy, that sounds like me. All right. Yeah. So uh, I had that opportunity soon because I think that probably some of them were people that I had known. But um, so the answer is simply no. I never, I never saw anybody that I knew. Okay. But but there were others, right? Uh, others in, in your kind of like in your situation. Same situation as you, others that were in limbo, dead. You mean, the, you so, mean in the hellish part? Well, or in the heavenish part, oh. hellish part? Oh, he- heaven's uh, heavily populated. I mean, there's like billions and billions of people in heaven. But we were, we were only. Um, I was just like a tourist in heaven. I, I was never officially admitted there. He just showed me, showed me things, you know. You had a guest pass. Uh, all right, yeah. Uh, okay. Let me ask you this, if, if you don't mind, without getting too far into your book. What were what was one of the most interesting things you learned when you were asking questions, when you were showing things? Um, something that you you didn't uh, yeah. know or didn't. <laughs> so when when I was arguing with him, uh, arguing with Jesus about him sending me back, um, and I was sort of coming around to the idea that I was I was coming back. I said. So if I come back, you know, um, I'm an artist and a sculptor and things, and um, what, I, what I'll what i do when I come back is I'm going to make a shrine, and it's going to be so in, 
amazingly weird and wonderful and beautiful and big. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make a shrine. And people will come from all over to see this shrine, and it's all going to be about Jesus. And he said, please don't do that. <laughs> I said, what do you mean don't do that? And he said, I, I, I don't really need that or want that. And I said, but people build cathedrals and churches and shrines and things to you all over the place. And um, it's a way of letting people know about you. And he said, yeah, but that, that's for people. Um, I, You know, God and I don't need those sorts of things. He said, um, you know, you're just going to go hide, you know, hide in the making of this stuff and not um, deal with people. And that's one of the big problems that you've had all your life. And I said, so what do you want me to do if I come back? And he said, well, I want you to love the person that you're with. And I said, okay, got it. What else do you want me to do? And he said, no, that's what I want you to do is love the person that you're with. And I said, what good is that going to do? And he said, well, that's going to change the world. And I said, oh, you're going to send me back so I get to change the world? And he said, yeah, absolutely. If you love the person that you're with, it'll change the world. And I said, um, so, like, what if I love the person I'm with and then they go walking across the street and they get run over by a truck? Um, the world didn't get changed. And he said, well, you've got to keep loving the people that you're with. And I said, I don't see how that's going to make any difference. And he said, um, it's God's plan to do. That's how the world gets changed. And I said, uh, I don't understand. And he said, well, you know, you're not the only one. He said, there's millions of other people in God's plan. And I said, well, you know, there's billions of people in the world, and even if there's millions of people um, trying to love other people, I don't think the world's going to change. And he said, and there's also all the angels. And I said, well, all the people and all the angels, I, I just don't see how it's going to happen. And he said, it's God's plan. It's God's will. That's what God wants you to do. And I said, okay. You know, you, you pulled up the, you know, the, the big guy on me. I, you know, I can't argue with that anymore. You know, like, so, um, it's been over, um, well, it's been 32 years for me. <laughs> and that's what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to be a, um, kind, caring, loving, patient person. And it, what I've discovered is that it's the most interesting and sometimes most difficult thing to do. I mean, it's easy to love um, other sweet, good, kind, loving people. That's that's the easy part. The hard part is uh, loving the people that are not uh, so good. And also, uh, love doesn't mean you give people what they want. That's not love. I mean, you don't give... You know, you love children. You don't go around and pass up bags. Well, on Halloween we do. But other than Halloween... You know, loving children is not going around like pouring bags of candy on them because that's what they want. Right, right. Not to their detriment. Right. Is what you're saying. Loving people is doing what is in their best interest to to the best of our ability to understand what that means. It doesn't mean just giving people what you want. You know, um, I mean, I'll put it, um, I'll say something really um, hard. You know, in the case of like a terrorist, loving them, Loving people would mean um, trying to make sure you do a kill shot on the first try. That's what loving them would mean, and I, I mean that's horrible. I would I wouldn't want to kill another human being, but if um, as, oppo- as opposed to as opposed to what? 
I, I mean, I mean, okay, if that walk me through that, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, um, the analogy I like to use, you know, if, if you're uh, in a uh, schoolyard full of children, a rabid dog comes into the schoolyard. Right. You can go up and try and make friends with the doggy, you know, and try and pet him and put a collar on him. You could try that. Or kill the dog. Ah, okay. Kill the freaking dog. As, a, as opposed to poking him with a stick. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so if there's a guy with a AK-47 about to start shooting kids, um, take him out. That's the loving thing to do. Um you know, you know the remember like the movie Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, I perceive those as love stories. Interesting. Okay, it's interesting to, to think about things like that, hmm. um, Mr. Storm. I, not to take you off your current train of thought. Uh, we only got about fifteen minutes left. I want to make sure we cover this though. What What was one of the first things you told your wife? who's sitting in there in that hospital room with you after you return to your body? Um, I wanted her, you know, I was an atheist. She was an atheist. I, I, I want, I didn't want to go to hell. I mean, I was like, I was a zealot for a long time. And I, I would, um, nobody liked me because I was, I was like a crazy, you know, like street preacher guy for a long time. I had, I had to get over it because it was um, not productive. It was counterproductive. So, Right after my experience, I told my wife, I was telling her, I said, it's all love. You got, you know, you got to, you got to give yourself over to God. I mean, um, Jesus is waiting for you to turn your life over to him and stuff like that. And she was like, um, you need to go to sleep. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. You know, and I'm like, no, I'm not. It's real. I mean, it's real. This stuff's real. I said, you're going to go to hell. Okay. And like, and that's, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this. Uh, before that day in the hospital, you were an atheist. Your wife was an atheist. This happened. And the, your, this experience changed you from being an atheist to being a believer. And because of that, obviously, your wife as well, correct? It, it changed me. It didn't change her. Okay. She eventually left me. She, she oh, got, oh, okay. She got tired of me and the boat that I came in on. Okay. So, so it changed you nonetheless. And there's, so my takeaway from this is, is, I mean, my goodness, that you, you really went through it. You, you, you experienced what you experienced. And from that, you became a believer. And yeah, I mean, and I went to seminary and I'm a pastor. Okay. Okay. Which, all right. And and you are okay. So you are changing the lives of many through your pastoral work. Obviously, that was something you would have never ever done had you not gone through this experience. Absolutely. Got it. Got it. Okay. Hmm. Wow. Man. That, okay. And how long have you been doing this? Because you you've got a, uh, a master of divinity degree. Yes, you know, and you, you're ordained in the pastorate of, in uh, Kentucky and Ohio. Obviously, you don't need, need me to tell you that, but um, for the sake of our listeners, so yeah. um, do you get mocked a lot? I mean, do people say, "Oh, come on," you know? I mean, is that something that um, do people doubt, doubt your experience or at the university? Um, my 
call it my call colleagues, the other faculty, um, mostly treated me with complete ridicule and disdain. Mm. And it was very, very painful because these were my bestest friends in the whole world, the guys that I used to go out drinking on Friday Friday night. These were the people that, you know, they, they were my only friends, my, you know, the people that I worked with. And then when I when I went back, they all they wouldn't have anything to do with me and um, told me I was nuts, told me I was um, using too many drugs and stuff like that, which was very painful because, like, I begged for drugs for 10 hours and never got any, and they're telling me that it was like a big drug trip, you know. Right. People are... And um, you, I, you could almost explain that. Um, had you gotten drugs, you, you could almost explain that, you know, the... Uh, the reaction, but okay, man, that's uh, okay. So, so, what can people expect from your book, My Descent into Death: A Second Chance? Um, a second chance well, at life. That's uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I tried to write. I when I wrote that book in '99, um, um, I tried to write it um, for people that didn't have any faith. I, I wrote it. I tried to write write it as factually and straightforward from my perspective of how it happened in 1985. So it it doesn't read like uh, necessarily like Christian literature or Sunday school material because um, I I didn't you know as a church person you know I do a lot of preaching to the choir I do a lot of that you know sure (laughs) and uh, and that's and that's good I mean you know. you know, Christians need a, a pastor. They need a they need a shepherd too. And, and I'm I'm a shepherd to mostly Christians. But I wrote the book to reach reach out. Um, and Christians do read it, and they like it. But um, uh, I ha- I hope and I know that the book has um, turned people that had little or no faith, people that have left the church. I know that the book has had the um, uh, the ability to um, bring people into a conversion experience and to um, um, come to accept Jesus as their Savior and to go back to church and stuff. And that's what I want to do. I want I want everybody to know Jesus because Jesus is uh, he's so good, he's so wonderful, and he he's um, he is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, right? So so your your book, um, based on what you just said, your book has caused people to come to salvation, come to God, come come to Jesus. Is what you're saying? Your book has, has done a lot. That. Okay. A lot. And, yeah. okay. and I and thank God for that opportunity because, um, frankly, there is no more gratifying thing that we can do with our lives other than to um, introduce people um, into a loving God, a loving Christ. Are, are you? Are you disturbed um, in in the sense that you well, as, as in your position as a pastor? Are you disturbed at how many people are, are really don't believe in hell uh, as as a literal place? Yeah, if I can uh, if if I can put in a plug for the devil, the evil one, Lucifer, for a minute, because um, you know he is he is worthy of acknowledgement because he he's you know he's a hard working. Him and his uh, troops—they're hard-working people, and they're they're out there working all the time. You know, like Bible says, like a roaring lion. Right. Uh, and they're doing um, excellent work. They have uh, uh, 
convinced in in our our culture, and I think this is true in um, European culture as well, that um, we're not supposed to take any of this stuff seriously. There's no hell. Um, you know, some people promote the idea that everybody's going to heaven. It's just all wonderful, and then you have you have so-called Christians promoting um, reincarnation and stuff like that. And um, you know, he the evil one. Um, started off with a plan. Well, I'll kill Jesus and I'll wipe out all the disciples and that'll be the end of that. You know, simple solution. And of course, the more they slaughtered the Christians, the more people were drawn to Christianity and Christianity eventually um, overwhelmed the Roman Empire through uh, the Roman Empire doing everything they could to persecute Christianity. So, the evil one has tried different strategies and his um, newest strategy is very, very effective. It's just um, make Christianity uh, look ridiculous. Um, you know, Christian pastors, if you see them in movies or on television, are all a bunch of um, idiots or, you know, fools. Right. Um, Christ, Christian, basic Christian theology of heaven and hell and um, the divinity of Jesus, all those things are ridiculed. Jesus isn't divine. He's just a nice teacher like all the other nice teachers, you know. Um, people don't realize that, that you know, there, there's certain principles in life that are undeniably true. Like, for example, the Bible says you reap what you sow. Well, people think that that doesn't apply to them. No, we do reap what we sow. Everybody's going to reap what they sow. And that is God's justice. And the um, only way that we can uh, have a chance at heaven is through God's grace. And that grace is given to us through our faith in Jesus Christ and his um, atoning act on the cross for um, our forgiveness of sins. It, You know, that that's the story for 2,000 years. And uh, the evil ones made all that um, uh, very... Um, Unpopular. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And I think you said it because in your experience, you know uh, we can't earn our way to heaven, basically, given the fact that well, what you saw, you know, my goodness. Howard, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. You, uh, you were an atheist pretty much your whole life before this experience, and then... Um, after this experience, you be, you became a believer. If you didn't have, would anything else have changed your mind aside from going through what you went through? Any, if it was something somebody would say to you, or because uh, we're going to get to, uh, we see this huge uprising in atheism today, and how do you witness to an atheist? So, in your experience, when you were an atheist, did people witness to you ever, or um, would did it take the actual near death experience to have you get it to get a true turnaround? I'm going to tell you something that I think is really shocking. The answer is no. No one ever witnessed to me ever in my adult life. Like how, 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 how did that happen? I mean, you know, I don't have two heads. I don't, I don't have fangs or anything. I was around people all the time. Um, nobody ever witnessed to me. I mean, when I was, when I, uh, I worked my way through school as a server and I got a couple of, um, uh, pamphlets, you know, instead of tips, people would leave me a pamphlet or, you know, which I didn't really appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you call that a witness, 
what what is the matter with what is the matter with Christians? Why why are they so reticent? Or, and I would put it stronger. Why are they so embarrassed by their faith and by their relationship with God? Good good point. I, I you know could somebody could somebody have um, if if a, if a, a intelligent rational kind person had bothered to take the time to sit down and talk to me, um, it could have happened. I don't know. It might have happened. Okay. No one ever tried. But, but that's a very interesting point you bring up, the fact that no one has tried, or no one did try. And and what are we you know what are we supposed to do here on earth but but that that should be one of our major jobs right i mean right. yeah i mean i lo- i love to engage people and um i i try and uh kind of wheedle it in and you know the amazing thing is is that when you if you're subtle and clever um faith talk can be approached if you do it in a way that's not um, damning them to hell, you know, right off the bat. You know, you kind of like, um, sort of work your way into it. You gotta, you gotta have a relationship and there's gotta be some trust before people are gonna really open up and tell you what they really think and believe. And you know what? I believe that, I really believe that ultimately everybody, whether they admit it or not, everybody wants love. Everybody wants to know God. Um, everybody, um, is really seeking, um, uh, you know, Real, real life and God and an internal life. Um, but everyone, everybody's gotten so defensive. It's just ironic because people talk about anything. You know, they talk about their marriage and drug use and stuff like that. But getting into religion, people um, get pretty defensive. And I'm amazed at, at how many grown men are or seem to be embarrassed by even talking about their faith. And that, that to me, um, you, you don't have to wear your your faith on your shoulder, or Christianity on your shoulder, or whatever that saying is. But you certainly uh, don't have to, shouldn't be embarrassed by it, and, and you should be able to talk freely about it. And one of the major issues, I think, is you should be able to talk freely with others for the purpose of witnessing to others uh, yeah. for their salvation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, and your book does that, My Descent into Death, A Second Chance at Life. Very interesting uh, book indeed. And where can people get a hold of that book? Amazon. Um, they can order it through uh, any bookstore. Uh, um, it's been out since um, 2000, and uh, it's still um, still selling. I've written um, three other books since then, and uh, it's interesting because... Um, Publishers tell me that a book usually has a shelf life of about a year, and yeah. then it's so, And uh, that book's been out since 2000, so it's been out 17 years, and it's still going strong. And um, recently, in the last year, I got contacted by a Hollywood producer, and uh, they're uh, planning on making a movie out of it. Wow. Wow. Uh, very cool. interesting. Interesting story, but, but even more important message I think and that message is hey your you, our job is quite simple and that is to to tell others about about uh, you know our salvation and I think you've done a great job Howard well, storm uh, and as a um, and if and if you don't feel that you are equipped to uh, describe the faith or defend the faith 
taken to church. There's, there's people at the church who would be happy to, um, you know, fill in the gaps where you feel inadequate. It, you know, it's so funny. I mean, it, you know, God, God ultimately gives faith. We don't. But if our job is to, to lead them to the point where they want to know Christ, that's the job. Um, and, you know, take them to a Bible study, take them to your church, take them to a, a, a Christian concert, um, you know, take them to a Christian speaker, you know, whatever. Invite, invite, if you can't, if you can't evangelize, um, take them to someone that can. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good advice. And, um, wow. Howard well, Storm, yeah. our guest, his book, My Descent into Death, A Second Chance at Life, available on Amazon. Mr. Storm, thank you so much for joining us. A fantastic story. Looking forward to reading your book and thank you for coming on and sharing that and with hopefully us. Hopefully you'll come back, uh, again. Visit with us more. All right. All right. We will be right wow. back after this network break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the end of hour two on this edition of the Hagman Report. We'll be back with Pastor David Langford after this. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by Pastor David Langford in just a moment. I want to bring you a quick word from Greenovative. Greenovative sent us this awesome mission pack that they have just created. And Alan Riggs today on The Daily Show, he came on for about 10 minutes and told me I received the very first mission pack that there is. So that's pretty cool. But um, Greenovative is a great company. Well, you know, let me toss this in there. I'm not allowed to touch it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep it right here. It's full of, it's full for of it. goodies, and this is the mission pack. This is different from some of their other packs. This includes a Bible, um, a, a couple of power pucks, flashlights, batteries, even a USB charger for your phone. And this pack is available at a twenty percent discount using the promo code Mission on Greenovative.com. Now you can get fifteen percent off of all other products in the store by entering promo code Hagman. But the code to receive 20% off the mission pack is mission. And the reason Alan set this up is to not only so you can help yourself, but if you know missionaries or your church is involved with mission work, you can ask your pastor and send a missionary one of these packs to help them. When all Coach these save. Absolutely. With all these, uh, you know, storms, natural disasters, we see people mobilizing to help other people. You can help them by sending them a mission pack or order one for yourself. Again, go to greenovative.com, promo code Hagman for everything in the store. And if you want the mission pack, promo code Mission, and it will be taken care of. And if you have any questions, just get a hold of Alan Riggs at greenovative.com. Also want to say a quick word to ready-made resources. All your preparation and survival needs from night vision goggles to storable food to water filtration systems are available at ready-made resources you can contact bob griswold there and he will help you in walking you through you know what it is from from uh, your first steps in preparedness to uh even if you have you know a whole basement full of stuff there might be other things you can do for your preparedness he knows his stuff and disaster kits absolutely he does and that's bob griswold at ready-made resources joining us now is pastor david langford from the voice of evangelism He's with us each and every Wednesday in hour number three, and sometimes uh, in extra segments. Like last Monday, he came on with uh, with Steve Quayle. Was that last Monday? Yeah, Man, Tuesday. I, I don't, I, Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. Hey, Pastor Langford, great to have you back. Good to be back with you guys tonight, Doug. I noticed they push you away when it comes to the freebies. You, you know, I'm not allowed to touch anything electronic. I, I don't know why, but uh, or any products like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I have the same I, problem. I, I asked, you know, um, 
I'm not allowed to touch tools, hammers, screwdrivers. They keep all that stuff away from me. So I love um, hammers. Everything looks like a nail to me. Th- there you go. That, that's right. And uh, th- that's that's kind of what my wife said. You can't fix that with a hammer. I said, Yeah, I can. <laughs> you just give me a bigger hammer. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, Pastor, it's great. It's great to have you on. And uh, Pastor David Langford, the Voice of Evangelism dot com. It's uh, uh, he's my, uh, he's, he's my, look, he's my pastor. I, that's the way, that's the only way I know how to introduce him. And, uh, he's a man of God and certainly knows, um, any, any questions I've got scripturally, he's the guy I turn to. And thank you so much for spending your, your time with us tonight. It's a great joy. Um, I want to look at something a little bit different tonight. I want to look at the number 45. The reason I want to look at that is because Obama was the 44th president, and four and four makes eight. And that, in biblical numerology, speaks of a new beginning. And needless to say, America entered into a new beginning with Obama. He bought, as many people have said, he's bought abomination into America exponentially and we, we've just seen so many evil and vile and wicked things. And uh, the truth is, we have, we've, we've passed a point of no return that we'll never get back to where we need to get back. But Donald Trump is the 45th president, so we're going to stir the waters tonight, maybe muddy it for some people who are anti-Trump. But that's all right. You know, God takes foolish things of the world to confound the wise, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and 26. And uh, if you take the numbers 4 and 5, that comes up to 9. And it means divine completeness, fruit of the Spirit, and it's definitely from God and what God has ordained. But 45, when we look in the Scriptures, we, we don't see that number very often, but the several times that we do see it, has something to do with preservation. And uh, those of you tonight who may have access to your Bible close by, I want to go through Genesis chapter 18, uh, when Abraham begins to plead and beg for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to show you something in Genesis chapter 20 that a lot of people are not aware of. But Abraham was a prophet. And uh, as far as I understand it, remember, that's the only time in one verse there in Genesis 20 where Abraham was ever referred to as a prophet of God. There's a reason why God came to Abraham uh, to tell him what he was about to do and did not hide. He did not conceal the matter from him. But in Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 16, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? You've all heard the scripture, Amos 3, 7, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, except he reveal his secret to his servants, the prophets. But in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham has an encounter with a king, the king of Gerar, whose name was Abimelech. And Abraham tells Abimelech, Sarah is his sister. And that was partially true because Genesis 20 and verse 12 says, 
she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but she is not the daughter of my mother, and she therefore became his wife. But God is getting ready to reveal to Abraham what he's about to do. And so the reason I brought up Abimelech was because Abraham did say, or excuse me, Abraham did say to Abimelech, she's my sister, she's not my wife. So God gives Abimelech a dream. And he tells him in this dream in in Genesis chapter 20, verse 6, And God said unto him, Abimelech, in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning. That's a powerful statement. God withheld Abimelech from sinning. God can withhold us from sinning. But we must have pure hands and a clean heart for God to divinely intervene to cut off our willingness to sin. So he says in the dream, For I have also withheld thee from sinning against me. Jehovah was telling Abimelech, I suffered you, I tolerated you to not sin against me. Therefore I suffered thee not to touch her, Sarah. And here's where it says in Genesis 20 and verse 7, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. So he certainly restores Sarah back to Abraham without touching her. But in Genesis 18, we see why God did what he did as we continue to search the scriptures, and that Abraham was a prophet. And because he was a prophet, he was burdened and unctioned to intercede, mainly in behalf of Lot, but also for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, as I said, Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophet, the prophets. And so he revealed this in Genesis 18, verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? There are times, as God wills, he reveals things to whomsoever he wills to share with us a people, the church, the body of Christ, that we might walk in the light and not in darkness. Um, Psalms 25, 14 said, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, God wills to reveal to us many things, and most of the time we're going to get the knowledge from the scriptures. We can see the prophecies, we can see the promises of judgment, uh, we, we can see in the book of Hosea specifically the shedding of innocent blood in Hosea chapter 4 verse 2, that blood is going to touch blood, and we're witnessing that kind of calamitous events on a regular basis in America. We, we, we saw in Las Vegas, we've now seen in Sutherland, Texas, we, we're seeing the perpetuity of these things taking place on a regular basis. And so there was about to be another profuse bloodshed, but this time, instead of evil being enacted in the earth, God was going to mete out the judgment himself. But he was so gracious, he was going to give Abraham an opportunity to intercede. Uh, Psalms eighty four eleven says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God did not withhold the judgment that he was going to place upon Sodom and Gomorrah, 
But he also gave Abraham an opportunity to intercessory pray for the twin cities. And Jude says, the cities about them. And then he says here in verse 18, Genesis 18, verse 18, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation, a mighty nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. This is a key phrase in verse 19, for I know him. There was a great relationship between Abraham and Jehovah. Abraham was, yes, a pagan. He was a heathen. His father's name was Terah. Terah was an idol builder. The God drew Abraham out, and I, I get criticized because I don't call him Abram at that particular time, but I'm just going to keep calling him Abraham, and you can throw stones at me because I don't interchange the name, but I'm just going to stay with Abraham. I've had people to even criticize me for that. So, well, it wasn't Abraham, then he was Abram. That, that's cynical. My point is God had a relationship, and Abraham had a relationship with God. And he said that he will command his children and his household after him. You know, this is where men need to be godly men and command their children when they're little and their household after him because Abraham was following the Lord Jesus Christ. He was following the will of Jehovah. He was committed to what God had called him to do because he was a man that was walking by faith when he told him to leave his family and follow him, and he would take him into a place, a country that he was no, he had no familiarity with whatsoever. So it was absolutely a walk of faith. And he said, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, talking about his household and his children. Now, not all of them, when you look at uh, just he fathered, well, he fathered two Ishmael and Isaac, but Isaac was the promised seed. And there were many that followed Jehovah. And there were, of course, those who did not follow, but they were still of the seed of Abraham. I'm not going to get into John chapter 8 tonight, but we know that there were those that were Ishmaelites, meaning they were not the promised seed, and there were those of the seed of Isaac. They were the promised seed, and I believe that the promised seed was the ones that Jehovah was talking about when he was referencing, he will command his children and his household after him, and they, his household, his children, shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. What did God speak to Abraham? When you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That was the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, sometimes we don't understand. Uh, we have nothing to do with God bringing us in. It's the that's why it's called the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. God brings us in to a relationship with him. We bring nothing to the table. Uh, everything that you and I could possibly bring, every gift, every talent, is just mere beggarly elements that we try to bring into this relationship with God because man needs God. God does not need man. God can, could do without us if he so chose, but he wanted to create man in his image and his likeness and have a relationship and have a family. And, and he chose 
Abraham to, to bring forth this great family here in the time of the end. And he, he said that Abraham would do justice and judgment. In other words, he would be just in his life, his lifestyle, and he would judge. He would adjudicate everything in his life correctly as best he could in his, in his humanity. We have all failed. Uh, Romans three twenty three for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're not talking about uh, sinless perfection here in the flesh. Every every one of us have our our anomalies, our aberrations in our flesh, which we try to stay away from that because the flesh is carnal. The flesh creates difficulties. Uh, your flesh will give you more problems than anyone else in the world. You may blame others, you may blame circumstances, situations, but it's your flesh. That is your greatest enemy in life. And that's why the flesh must be brought in subjection to the Word of God and to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, why, why does God come down and engage Abraham? He tells us here in verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is grievous. You know, this is one of the great, great dangers in America, the sins of this nation. Uh, just tonight I saw on the news where Kevin Spacey now is probably going to be arrested and put in jail uh, for fondling an 18-year-old, got him drunk. And this lady, his mother, was a, a news anchor, I think, out of Atlanta. And she's exposing this. You, you see, I, I, I'm really being amazed and I won't get into this tonight, but we talked about this well over a year ago, before Donald Trump was elected president. And we have alluded to it, and there have been others, of course, that walk in prophecy and study Bible prophecy. But in Isaiah 45 and 3, God says to Isaiah, I will give thee, talking about Cyrus, I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secrets, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord which called thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. I find it tremendously moving and powerful, and that all of the things that we talk about relative to hidden riches of secret places and treasures of darkness, Weinstein, I mean, they're just all of these things, Uranium One, uh, Mueller was the FBI director in 2009. Obama was the president trying to work out a deal with the Iranian nuclear deal and how this uranium was being funneled through Canada over to Russia. And in the end, at the end of the day, all of this is about the destruction of Israel. But I believe you're going to see more and more things come out because during this time of preservation, and this is what we're in, we're in a time frame of preservation. I believe we were so close uh, to the utter destruction of this nation, but I know myself, and I know there were tens of thousands of other Christians who were on their face pleading with God, just like Abraham pled with God, and we'll see that in a minute. I remember Tuesday, the day of the election, I came up uh, stairs to my office, and I got on my face before God, and I wept, and I cried, and I prayed profusely. And I begged God, I said, do not let that woman rule over us. Do not suffer that Jezebel to become the president of these United States. 
I, I don't think American people understand the gravity of the sin and the wickedness that is in this nation, especially around Washington, D.C. It, it, is, it is the most vile wickedness that could ever be imagined. You and I are insulated from the reality of what takes place up there on a regular basis. This, this is just daily business for these people. These people are demon-possessed. These people are demonically controlled. The spirits, the, the, the wicked spirits in high places have taken charge of our nation and its leadership. And, and so God has stopped and said, I'm going to give you a parenthetical time of preservation. Now, we don't know how long the, the, the preservation period is. We don't know how long this time is. God could still send judgment during this time of preservation. I don't know, because even though Abraham was negotiating with God, and he uses the number 45 in this scripture text here in Genesis 18, all throughout it he's using increments of 10. But one time, he used an increment of 45. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is, God was giving Abraham an opportunity to intercede to pray, to cry out to God. You know, uh, David said in Psalms 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are opened unto their cries. When the people of God cry out, God is going to stop and listen to us. And he stopped, not only to listen to Abraham, but he stopped to reveal to Abraham what he was going to do. I'm amazed at how God and his sovereignty will envelop us into his plans. Now, God doesn't need any of us to do his, his work, his will, his plan. He can do it without us. But he is so gracious to envelop us into what he's doing. It is an honor to serve Christ. Romans 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. We are servants. We should be honored to serve him in any way he wants to serve him. Uh, uh, Psalms 84, 10, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. Not everyone can say that. Some had rather be in Washington, D.C., in a, in, a, in a congressional seat or a senatorial seat. But David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God now, he wasn't demeaning the doorkeeper. He was just saying, hey, if I'm a doorkeeper, I'm in the house of God. If I'm a doorkeeper, I'm near the presence of God. No, I may not be able to go and work at the altar or at the menorah or the table of showbread or the altar of incense, but I'm there where God is. I'm there. So he, he was magnifying the, the greatness of of merely being where God is in the house of God. David said in Psalms 122.1, I was glad uh, when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And again in Psalms 84.10, he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. We got people that profess to be Christians had rather be in the limelight than be a doorkeeper. Hey, David understood the value of being in the presence of God. So, Genesis 18 and 20 here says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, sodomy, lesbianism, 
homosexuality is one of the most grievous sins that there is because it is totally contrary to nature. God abhors fornication. He abhors adultery. But in the sexuality, anatomically, it's a normal thing. It's just sin. But anatomically, sodomy is so nasty, so vile, so filthy. Uh, I believe it was Steve sent me an article today. I believe it was Harvard. Uh, how they're they're having a sex shop, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But that, you know what that means by what I'm saying here tonight. That's all I'll say. Teaching young people this perverted sexuality, teaching them this, and they claim that's higher learning? No, that's not higher learning. That's filthy. That is nasty. It is an abomination in the eyes of God. And God abhors it. I, they can say all they want to. I, I'm not bashing anyone. I pray if you're in homosexuality, you will get out of it. But it's abnormal. There's nothing normal about that kind of sexual behavior. Nothing about it is normal at all. God never meant for two men to get together and try to have a sexual relationship anatomically. He made them male and he made them female. Two men cannot procreate, neither can two women Procreate, And I'm always amazed. And if it's two lesbian, one plays the role of a man, and the other one plays the role of the woman. Well, it's just normal for the woman part, but not the man part. And vice versa in homosexuality in men, sodomites. One plays the male role, which is normal, and the other plays the female role. That is abnormal. That's nothing normal about that. And don't say, God made me this way. Because you have to take me back to Genesis chapter 2 and show me in creation where God did that. God did not do that. There's no record that God did that. I'll tell you where it came from. It came from the fallen angels. Fallen angels taught men sodomy, bestiality. They broke through what God told me were spiritual membranes. I was reading again the other day in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, when Satan and his angels are kicked out of heaven, they're going to be confined to the earth. I was reading that, and it struck me profusely. God's going to set a boundary when he kicks Satan out of heaven. He cannot go anywhere else, but he will be completely confined to the earth. And that's why the Bible said he's going to be wroth. He's going to have unmitigated anger, and thus Revelation 12 and 12 says, Woe! To the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. See, he knows when he's cast out. Revelation 12 and 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast out unto the earth, he persecuted the woman. The woman is Israel, which brought forth the man-child, which brought forth Jesus Christ. He, 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 he's, he's going to be so angry. Because now his confinement is to the earth. Right now, he's running to and fro in the earth. He's up in the heavenlies. He's falsely accusing us. He's over in, in, in uh, China. He's over in uh, uh, North Korea. He's in Iran. He, he's in Saudi Arabia. He's, he's, a, he's the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2 and 2. And God says, but I'm going to confine him to the earth. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, Revelation 12 and 9. They're going to be confined, and so they're going to be so angry 
that God now is, it's like I've used the term, we're in the, the net, but we're still swimming. Well, he's, he's going to be confined in God's net, and the net is around the earth. And in that net is going to be the devil, his angels, his minions, his cohorts, the Antichrist, the beast system, all of it's going to be in there. But God is the one that has control of all of it. So this sin that we're witnessing in, 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 in the earth, in the world today, the sin of, of sodomy, it's being glorified, it's being magnified, uh, it, it's, it's being lauded as one of the greatest things, the one of the greatest liberties. But it's not a liberty. Number one, it's a bondage, and number two, it is a great and gross perversion. And people don't like to admit that, because the truth is, they cannot procreate. And that's why men like Kevin Spacey molest. They're predators and they're perverts, and they go after young people. This is, this is the, see, if the devil can get you in bondage when you're young, chances are he can destroy your life. Uh, I don't think we appreciate what it means to live in a wholesome home with a straight mother and a straight dad, and a dad wears your butt out when you get out of line and your mama does the same thing to you, and you say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and you were taught what is right and wrong. We don't appreciate that. It's like, as I look at the world today, I'm like, what in the world are these millennials doing? Look at the behavior. And they're so accepting to anything that comes along. There's no conviction. Well, shouldn't we pray about that? Shouldn't we be cautious? No, there's, there's just no reservations. And they, too, continue to break through the spiritual membranes. And what's happening, we're fulfilling Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and there arose another generation that knew not the Lord. And, and that's why I am praying that God will give us a revival among our young people. Because they're, 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 when I was a kid growing up, you, you know, we had altar calls. The pastor in the pulpit said, don't die and lose your soul and go to hell. Get in this altar and get it right with God. You never hear those kind of statements today. Why? Well, that's condescending. That's demeaning. You can't make that kind of a statement. Therefore, the altars are absolutely barren. The altars are barren. There's no weeping. There's no contrition. There's no brokenness. There's no sobbing. There's no lamenting. There's no weeping. It just doesn't exist anymore. You know why? And I've said this before, and I'll say it again tonight. A preacher cannot take you any further with God than he's been himself. He just can't do it. If he's never been there, how can he get you there? He can't, because he doesn't know the reality and doesn't have the spiritual experiences with God. Every pastor in America right now should be doing three things. Fasting, praying, and preaching the Word of God with Holy Ghost conviction. That's, that's what I see the need in America. I know people are hurting. You know why we're hurting? We've got sin that is running absolute rampant in this nation. It's, it's, it's out of control. I mean, it's crazy. It's insane. And God told him in the book of Deuteronomy, he would send a spirit of madness. Some of the things that we witness are, are insane and they're mad that our leaders say and our leaders do. You see, there, there's an attempt to destroy this nation, and whether it's through sexuality whether it's through perversion, 
for this through gun confiscation. It doesn't matter. Satan is seeking to destroy. And let me say this tonight. Every pastor that's listening tonight, I, I gave up my pastorate in 2012. And, and and most people that know me personally know I have I have high convictions. I don't compromise. I don't tell half lies and half truths. I, I, I'm a straight up guy. But if I was still pastoring my church, I would have at least two men in the lobby with some type of rifles. I would have two men on my pulpit with rifles, and I would have some other men in the congregation carrying weapons in their pockets. Now, I know I'll get more flack from that than you can imagine. But let me ask you a question, because this came to me the other day. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter pulled his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus? What do you yeah. think he'd have done to Malchus had he had a gun, Doug? <laughs> Probably would have shot him. He'd have shot him. That's exactly yeah. right. That's right. But he had a he had a sword, so he cut off his ear. My point is, I listen, and I heard the, the, the guy before me, I don't know who he was, talking about a kill shot. I feel just like him. I would never want to shoot anybody. God knows my heart. I would never in a million years want to have to shoot anybody. But I'm not going to sit around and let some demon-possessed, deranged maniac come in with a gun and and take people's lives. I'm just not going to... People say, well, you're advocating violence. That's not, that's not the love of God. That's not, that's not a pastor's heart. Listen, you love your children and they're little. Are you going to protect them? Or are you going to let somebody just take them out? I'm going to protect them. I'm going to protect my wife, my family. I'm going to protect mine. And if I'm wrong, God will judge me. If, if my heart is vile and wicked, but that's not my motive. My motive is to live and let live. Every, every, you know, even though those people got killed in a church, if they hadn't got it right with God yet, there's a possibility somebody could have been lost because the devil took their life before they got it right with God. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know the people. But just suppose they came that morning to give their heart to Jesus Christ and was waiting for the pastor to make the altar call so they could come to the altar and repent. That man came in and shot him. The devil kills, he steals, and he destroys. We, 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 are, we are becoming so passive. Yet if you go around these big mega church and pastors, oh, they got their security. See, the, the larger church can afford it. And uh, the smaller churches, they, they, we can't do that. But what I'm saying is I would be protecting my congregation, and I would be praying, oh, God, don't ever let nothing like this ever come in here that we have to deal with it. Protect us. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over our church, our property, that nothing like this will happen. I don't, I don't want it to happen. God, protect us. I, I pray for the house I live in. I pray for divine protection from the weather. Some of you probably think, well, that's stupid. Well, in the last uh, six weeks, we've had two onslaughts of tornadoes and, 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 and taken out trees and buildings and houses all around me. But thank God, not once have we been taken out. We lost our power. We lost our phones. But, but, we, but my house was not touched. And we saw the tornadoes. Linton, my son, was videoing the tornadoes. Well, I said, I came and out and, and got on the deck, and I began to pray and plead the blood of Jesus that they, these tornadoes would go somewhere else, and they did. They went other places, but I saw them dropping down, coming out of the clouds, and I began to rebuke those storms and plead the blood of Jesus Christ. 
I don't want an encounter with evil, but if I have to, I want to do it the right way, folks. And we're, we're, we're becoming too passive, and we're letting people talk about, well, don't say or do anything about being judgmental. I'm going to stand for what's right. And that's what God said about Abraham. He will do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now let's go down to verse 21, Genesis 18:21. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. The wickedness, the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah had come into the hearing of God's ears. It had come into his hearing. The, the, the stench, the, 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 the raunchy, rancid, randy filth had come into his hearing. And so God says, I'm going to go and do a personal inspection myself. And he brought two angels with him. I believe that was Jesus Christ incarnate before his birth. He came. That's who, that's who Abraham was talking to. He was talking to Jesus. You, some of you say, well, well how, how can you say that? How do you know that? Well, if you, if you would read your Bible, in the 8th chapter of the book of, uh, of John, Jesus tells us plainly that Abraham had an encounter with him before. You see, in uh, John eight fifty five, yet... Ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his commandments. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. So when did Abraham see Jesus and rejoice in it? Genesis 18. That was the encounter. That's that third man that was there, the two angels, and Jesus Christ. I won't get into the rest of that tonight. We'll, we'll move on. I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but, the, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Now the two angels are going on towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? God knows the facts. God knows the truth, and he's sending them on to Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord, and Abraham drew near and said, Would thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Would thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That was a revelation that God gave me years ago. And I'll never forget when I shared it with Henry Gruber. Henry said, can I use that? He, and I said, well, Henry, it's the word of God. Use what you want. And you're saying, what is that? Will thou destroy and not spare the place? Abraham was very specific. He's not talking about the entire city, the place for the 50 righteous that are therein. In other words, if there's just a little nook, a little cranny, a little concave of 50 people, will you spare that little place, Lord? Verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. 
shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And in most of your Bibles, the word judge there is capitalized because he is a righteous judge. Paul said that in Second Timothy 4, 8. He's the righteous judge, or, or, or verse 7, 4 and 7, 2 Timothy 4, 7. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And you see the difference there? Abraham is pleading the place, the place of the 50. But God is a gracious God. He said, I will spare all the place for their sakes. And that means he will lift up his judgment. He will not suffer it to take out the whole city. Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. And here's, here's this preservation now. Verse 28, Peradventure, there shall like five of the fifty righteous will thou destroy all the city for the lack of five. And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And if you go on down, and you continue to read, each time now, it's in increments of ten. Verse 29, And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will do it, I will not do it for the forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be thirty found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. He said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. He said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. So he, he he's negotiating initially in that increment of five, forty-five, and it's forty, thirty, twenty, ten. And and God, and this this is this is the great thing about God. Every time Abraham was interceding, he was he was this was intercessory prayer. You, you may not look at that as prayer, but you may look at it as a conversation. You know, this was prayer. Abraham was interceding. He was petitioning God in this type of a prayer, asking for God's mercy. Now, it is evident, if you go on and read Genesis 19, God knew they were not there. Because when he sent the two angels to go on, they, they, they told Lot, when they encountered Lot, they said, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. But see, see the mercy of God? See the long-suffering of God? See the willingness of God to preserve? I think so many times we, we, we say, oh, God, have mercy. I hear that all the time. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. And I'm thinking, look at the mercy that God has shown this nation already. Look at the mercy. Look at the untold things that Satan has, has done we should have reaped 
a whole lot far worse things than what we have reaped. But it's because of the the body of Christ, which is the, the light and the salt in, in this nation. But, you know, the light and the salt, you know, Joe and Doug, this, this thing is dwindling, you know? And, 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 and God is calling. And I, Steve and I were talking the other night. Another 10, 12, 15, 20 years. Where will this nation be? 50 years ago, there were tens of thousands of great men of God in this nation that preached with great fervency, with great power, and with a great anointing. But those days of, of having tens of thousands of preachers are dwindling. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I preached a message uh, years ago. I, I need to find it and, and pull it back out. I want you to think about what I'm going to say here. Sodom had no record of past judgment. We have we have no record to show them that there was a noatic flood, the earth was destroyed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we don't really have a. They didn't have a record book to tell them, you know, this is what happened years ago, the judgment of God in the earth because He flooded the earth. Okay, they didn't have any churches. We we don't see in Genesis eighteen and nineteen where there were any churches in Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't see we don't have any record of other than Abraham being the prophet of God, he was not there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was there. Lot was uh, the nephew, uh, Abraham's brother's son, uh, Lot, was, was supposed to have been the light. Lot was supposed to have been the witness. Lot was supposed to have been the man to stood up at, to, the, to the wicked and said, hey, this is wrong. But somehow, some way, he obviously become became compromised and his two daughters who had married but obviously they had not consummated their marriage so he's still able to offer them up to that angry mob of sodomites as two virgins and his son-in-laws the bible says they mocked him you see this is what happens when sin becomes so paramount so tantamount within our nation people will mock you and and, 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 and like you, you know, people are already making fun of people pray. You, you, the comedians, the different ones, you know, where was God in your prayer? You know, why didn't God help you? I mean, these, these people are agnostic. They're God haters. They're, they're God haters. Now you say, well, are you sure they were married? Uh, Genesis 19 and 14, Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, up, get you out of this place. But the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So they, they, they mocked him. He's warning. I mean, that now time, the sand in the hourglass, there's just a few grains of sand left in the hourglass, and, and the time is all but gone. Why? Because the time has come for judgment. And see, when God begins to judge... The opportunity for intercession is over with. The opportunity for intercessory prayer, it's over with. You know, once God drops the hammer, it's it's gonna it's gonna fall. You know, I don't say that to be comical, since Doug and I said what we said earlier in the program about just get a bigger hammer. When when God gets ready to judge, he's he's going to judge. 
And that's why Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? In other words, Abraham says, it's, it's demanded of you, God, because you're such a righteous judge. You have to do the right thing. And, I've, and of course, you know what people would say today if God was, were to do this again? Let's just say, let's just say uh, uh, one of the great, let's say San Francisco, one of the great sodomite cities in America. And fire of God fell down out of heaven and just consumed the place. MSNBC, CNBC, NBC, all the spinning heads, the talking heads would be saying, what kind of God is that? that that's not God. That's, that's not God. God is a God of love. Oh, this, this, there's no way that's God. Or they would mock us Christians and say, that's the kind of God y'all serve. That, that, that's who you claim you serve. What was Obama said? God, uh, guns, and what was the, I forget what the third one was? Uh, talking about Christians. This is, what, this is what they would say to us. They're already mocking the people in Sutherland, Texas, that are still praying, making fun of them. This mockery will not continue on. There will come a time when God says, I've had enough. Galatians 6 and 7, Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Every time those jerks make those cynical statements about God and prayer are driving another nail in the coffin of judgment. That's all they're doing. Mocking God. Mocking God innocent people who still have faith in God. You see, God God's not doing all this killing. It's the devil doing all the killing. Anybody with half a brain and one eye knows that guy was demon-possessed. Who in their right mind would physically beat an 11-month-old child? This, this, this man was demon-possessed. This is the enemy. This is Satan. He's killing, he's stealing, destroying. God doesn't do that. God just pulls back his hand more and more and more, and lets judgment fall. Because see, I know myself personally, had God totally removed his hand from my life, Satan would have took me out. He was trying to take me out. He was trying to get me out. But God wouldn't have it, because God had a call on my life. He spared me much. And uh, we, we don't realize how much God has spared us from. We'll, we'll know in the by and by, but right now we don't understand and so 45 speaks of preservation. There's one other scripture, Joshua 14, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said these 40 and 5 years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He was 85. But see, starting at 45, God preserved him. Why? Because they were getting ready to go into the 40 years in the wilderness. So God preserved Joshua. He preserved Caleb. The Bible said they were of another spirit. So that's why I'm saying the several times that the number 45 comes up fundamentally speaks of a, a type of preservation keeping us. And then I believe, and people can argue, and that's perfectly fine. You, you have your right to argue and, and debate, say, I don't, I don't believe any of that. But I don't think it's by coincidence that Cyrus in, in Isaiah chapter 45, I, I believe when the, uh, canonically, when God canoned the scriptures, gave us what he wanted us to have, that these things were set out. 
God, God is a God of numbers. He, 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 the, there's a book called the Book of Numbers. And there's a reason why God did certain things. You've heard me teach on that, like Exodus chapter 12. They were to put the lamb up on the 10th day, the number 10, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, means law and responsibility. And they would keep it shut up until the 14th day and then kill it. Why 14? 14 means salvation and deliverance. There's a reason God does certain things. You circumcise a child, a male child, on the 8th day. Why? His vitamin K will be at its highest level in the 8th day of his life. There's, there's a reason God does these things. And they all bear significance relative to what God is doing. And uh, so we, we need to understand. But whether we, whether we want to embrace that or not, that, that's entirely up to the believer. But I want to have a childlike faith. And when I read the Scriptures and I see the things in the Scriptures, I want to believe God has put them there for a reason, for a purpose. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen three, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Be converted. After your conversion, become as a little child. Why? Because you could tell a little child just about anything, and they'll believe you. They'll believe you. If you're getting ready to go out the door, and they say, I want to go, and you say, no, you need to stay home. And, 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 and they say, well, will you bring me something? And they'll stand there and wait. You say, yes, I'll bring you something when I come back. When you walk through that door, the first thing that child will say, what did you get me? What did you get me? Why? You made a promise. And they have that kind of faith in the most simplistic words and verbiage. And so Jesus said, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter in to the kingdom of heaven. I want to encourage the people tonight to pray. I know Thanksgiving is coming up, and uh, feasting and festivities and things of that nature, but don't forget God. Uh, don't forget God. Jeremiah 2.32 says, Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Let's not forget God. Let's keep our, our hearts centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen Joe, to that. Doug, give it back to you. Pastor, thank you very much. What an incredible, um, may I call it a sermon, because I, I feel it was. Uh, what an incredible sermon. And, and uh, wow. And, and yes, uh, with, with the uh, Thanksgiving festivities coming up, let's not forget really the most important thing and that's our relationship, our walk with, with God and obedience to God, what we're supposed to do. We have to be mindful, in my view, of what, we, uh, what we've been called to do and what we need to do as Christian men Amen. and as Christian women, too. Um, yes. You know, it's... Um, Pastor, I, I, I just found out today, i, I got to tell you that this is it's just kind of uh, really... <laughs> mess with my mind as you were talking today about the or as you were talking this evening um it, it reminded me of, of the news this morning that the first transgendered male or the first transgendered person i don't even know what to call it was uh elected to the school our school board today or yesterday so um uh, which I, I'm, I'm in the township. I didn't vote for that. You know, obviously I wouldn't have voted for that. But, but nonetheless, um, the first in the state uh, or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And and the, the only reason I bring this up is because of what you said earlier 
about the uh you know the, the sodomy and, and and all that but um how quickly we are devolving or we have devolved as an immoral society in a lack of spirituality lack of god it's just it's just incredible um, you know the more we take god out of the equation Doug the more ungodly we become yes yes exactly and, and our young people with all respect they're gullible they, they they don't see anything wrong and it's because there's no conviction conviction demands that we look at a situation say that's right or it's wrong and when I see that I know in my heart that's wrong nobody has to tell me are you sure that's wrong I know it's wrong because I have a good conscience and I have the spirit of God abiding in me and I know that is wrong you know, of course, you get this rhetorical statement: "Don't judge, don't judge, don't judge." I'm judging the fact that it's wrong. God Absolutely. will judge them eternally. So, well, thank exactly. you for allowing well, me to be you. here tonight, Pastor. We'll thank you, guys. Week, you're you're a blessing to the Hagman and Hagman office staff, and to uh, obviously to our audience as well. And we really appreciate your time and your gift of time, gracious gift of time. Thank you, and uh, thank be well. You. Thank you so much. God bless you all tonight. Bye bye. What a great, uh, what a, what a great time we had with Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism.com. And you know what? We never, we never do get around talking about his new book, uh, The New Jerusalem Bride. If you haven't gotten that already, it's, it's really a, it's a really a great book. And of course, don't forget Revelation 13 Revealed, which taught me a lot in addition to the, um, the book of Revelation. So it's a good companion study, in my view, like a study guide kind of thing. Um, and of course, he's got a lot of media at his website, thevoiceofevangelism.com. And he's, he's a pastor very close to our hearts, is a friend of mine and, uh, a friend of ours. And we, we, we think a lot of him. So, thevoiceofevangelism.com. Uh, tomorrow, well, we, I'll tell you what, we've got, a, we've got great shows lined up for you all week long. Don't forget to. Paul McGuire tomorrow with yeah, his new book. That's right. Conquering the Matrix. I, I didn't know if you wanted to announce that or not, but okay. Sure. Yeah, Paul McGuire. It's going to be a fascinating program um, tomorrow with Paul McGuire. But don't forget to tune into the Doug Hagman show at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time on BTR, specifically on BTR and Global Star Radio, not on YouTube. And then 2 to 3, Joe's uh, John's radio show as well. And then be back with us again at 7 for the flagship show, The Hagman Report, and that's 7 to 10 Eastern Time on YouTube. Global Star and BTR as well. And uh, once more, I want to thank uh, all of our guests tonight. I want to thank you, the listener. By the way, we have a Patreon account, Patreon account as well. I want to thank you, everyone who has given their support to us. I want to thank you for that. Um, it does help us, it, and it's helping us. It, it pays the salaries. It pays the operational costs. It pays the um, pays the bills. And uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. It's uh, you're you're. We just thank you, thank you. And and you know those who can't, just say a prayer or keep us in your thoughts. And we really appreciate that more than you know. And all of the people who have sent postal mail, little cards, notes, letters, we read them all. Thank you for those. So, Joe. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. We will see you back here tomorrow. Thanks, Pastor Langford and Mr. Howard Storm, the two hours that we had with um, with them. That was a very interesting story. We will be back tomorrow with Paul McGuire, and then Ted Borer will be closing us out on Friday. Have a great night. Yeah.